Welcome to Wiseman Podcast, the only podcast where it's all Wiseman all the time. <laughs> I am your host, Sean Glennis, and I'm here with my co-host, Arlen Golden. How are you doing, Arlen? Whoa. Oh, uh, what a, I'm just flabbergasted by the just switching up the intro. Where am I right We're now? We're going shock shock. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm sleepy. Oy, 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 it's oy, early oy. over here. <laughs> Morning zoo. <laughs> um, yeah, it's good. What? Uh, uh, it's been a minute um, because uh, like has happened twice in the past. Uh, I had drunken film fest oakland recently i'll do my annual uh documentary report there <laughs> definitely catch alpha kings uh which is directed by face Sakis and enrique pedraza botero uh, that is available now through the new yorker and then uh another doc uh, from china by shuli huang uh called uh will you look at me uh I don't know when or where that'll appear, but definitely keep an eye out. Those are powerhouse nonfiction shorts of the year, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but uh, guess what? We got some studs today nice. uh, for you. Um, he had two entries from actors, one of whom is Rip Torn. Um, uh, which the filmmaker was... behind Telephone. <laughs> Are you familiar with with that film? Have you seen it? Yeah, it's awful. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's uh, it's it's actually like has it's the closest film that it, it the film that it's closest to in DNA is Seraphia's Diary. Um, <laughs> it's Oprah doing. Is it Oprah? No, sorry, God, it's Whoopi Goldberg um, doing a telephone monologue. Like she's like in this apartment and it's crazy and she's doing all of these like caricatures and some wow. of them are, are problematic um but it's uh yeah <laughs> it it's, sounds it's, a lot like seraphia to start it, it really is <laughs> and it's awful and it's the only thing Riptorn ever made but anyway um but i thought uh the entry for the the kind of working actor uh arnie freeman was was a bit more interesting and germane uh thinking about the sort of support we see for actors in the film we're about to discuss today versus what's more common in the U.S., perhaps. Um, I'm a working actor. If you want to work, you have to do everything. To me, acting is a craft, a way of life. I've never been obsessed with the sickening drive inside to become a star. Possibly it's because I came into it very late in life. I was 37 years old when I became a professional actor. I was a little more realistic about life. I knew the percentage of somebody who is five feet tall and six and a half inches tall, who is dark and ethnic looking. The chances of becoming a star were quite remote. I've conditioned myself not to want it because the odds against it are too great. Since I came to New York, I've never been out of work. I've only had one relatively poor period because my face became too familiar in television commercials. Where it got kind of lean, you begin to wonder if maybe you've gotten too old or whether you're worn out. 
Through all these years, I went from one thing into another. I'd finish a play, there'd be a movie, in between there'd be TV plays, there'd be commercials. I've signed with an office, all they do is TV commercials. Financially, I'm not concerned. I have a little better than a hundred grand in the market. I want to go live in Mexico, but who wants to stop working? And then uh, he, he concludes his entry. Um, I used to think to myself, this is not a life. A man ought to be something more important, ought to be a doctor or a lawyer or something that does something for other people. To be an actor is to be a selfish person. It's a matter of ego, I think. Many actors make the mistake of thinking this is life. I have in recent years found my work somewhat meaningful. So many people have stopped me on the street and said, I can't tell you how much I enjoy what you've done. If for a moment or two he could turn on his TV set and see you in a show or a commercial and it makes him a little happier, I think that's important. So uh, that was Arnie Freeman from Studs Turkle's Working. Very nice. Uh, yeah, it's interesting that the, the idea of the working actor from the book called Working, you know, this, this, uh, it's a, just a common word associated with acting. Working. Um, and <laughs> okay. it's also, uh, you know, that's a very, that sounded very American compared to some of the acting right. that we see. The, the treatment of, of acting as a profession that we see in the film we're going to be talking about today. Um, before I get to that, Wanted to just kind of uh, talk about a couple of things up top. Um, first of all, I got my new mic, so ushering in a new generation. Sound lovely. Thank you. Um, but we had a couple, we, we had one revelation um, that I guess we could have figured out earlier, um, but <laughs> yeah. it didn't have the uh, technological wherewithal to do. Uh, and that was... Um, I bought a copy, a uh, EPUB version of the French book on Frederick Wiseman by Maurice Darmon called uh, American Chronicles and was able to run it through uh, a couple channels and, and, and be able to read the Google translated version of, of the entire book. So we have that added to our resource library, which is great, especially for this, this film, uh, which is French. It's a little hinky, but you could yes. you could get the gist of it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It w- yes. Um, <laughs> and what's also interesting is that there's uh it, there's some new citations in it, which which I'll get to one of them at least um, briefly. But um, I also wanted to say that I recent I don't know uh, how it's going to be close. I don't know how close in conjunction it's going to come out uh, adjacent to this episode. But I interviewed Frederick Wiseman. Very uh, exciting. For, yes, for print. Uh, so unfortunately, you can't hear that on this program, but um, that's okay. Uh, I heard it. The <laughs> listeners, there's something to look forward to for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was so it was about his new film um, and just general stuff. Um, so look for that at the film stage. Um, it was very fun to talk to him again. And other than that, yeah. Um, we're talking about uh, La Comédie Française um, or uh, Love Played, I believe, is the subtitle. Love Plays? Love Played? I don't know. Um, his 29th feature film from 1996, uh, and it's a doc on the, a nonfiction film on the titular theater, which was founded in, in 1680 and is the oldest active theater company in the world. Um, 
Also, this... the oldest institution that Weissman has documented, just oh, yeah. kind of by default. For sure. Um, <clears throat> he shot 126 hours and in, shot it over 11 weeks in the winter of 94 and 95, and then edited it in one year, and it aired September 1st, 1996, which was Labor Day weekend. In 1995, uh, the theater was established as a French state-controlled entity, which... Um, uh, is brought up a couple of times by our guest of, of this ep- episode, uh, Kenji Fujishima. Um, but we should say that, uh, you know, Fred's interest in this um, theater uh, stems in part from his time as a student at the Sorbonne. Mm-hmm. And he used to escape school to go to the theater often, including this particular institution to see plays. Um so, you know, it, you kind of know going in, uh, in similar ways that we talked about Menu Plus here, that he is interested in this, this place. Like he, he has a certain amount of affection for it and he also has some built in, um, previous knowledge of it. Yeah. And, and also, you know, you could sort of say this is the third installment in the I like this stuff trilogy <laughs> uh, uh, um, coming after From high school, high school too. two and, and ballet. You know, m- maybe you can extend that to zoo, but I think there's just too many ironies in zoo uh, to be included in the, in the same way. Yeah, that, that's funny. It's a so it's in this like these subcategories of that that I like this stuff. Uh, films, the arts films, which uh, continue with uh, through uh, the most recent film, and also uh, the first in a series of French films, which is also continuing through his mm-hmm. most recent, um, now six, I believe. Um, and, uh, and I, I forget who it might have been the not coming piece, but somebody noted that as like a detriment uh, that that. Weissman's clear affinity for La Comédie Française, like, uh, makes him not able to preserve distance uh, to to document the institution, which you know is is not anything that I really felt watching the film in terms of like, but but maybe um, people perceive like a lack of criticism here as being mm-hmm. a lack of objectivity. I'm not sure. right. Yeah, I wasn't. Um a particular fan of that piece but um in general um it seemed to be wanting to like we talked about this with kenji um later but looking for a certain thing expecting a certain thing from wiseman Mm -hmm. um but that reminds me of when we did cover menu plus here i talked about christopher small's piece which he said the same thing about that film um that he thought his closeness to to the uh trogro family um also like sort of disallowed that sort of like like critical distance or something which like you know i mean how how much like criticism of like a cultural institution do you think is in in the way that you know the overt criticisms of you know some of the early institutional series um like like would be present you know like like we're just not dealing with issues of the same sort of gravity necessarily Mm -hmm. as in those other films yeah i agree and we'll talk more about his 
particularly American perspective with these French films um, or how being an American informs these French films, um, especially today's film. But in the French book by Darman, he calls his perspective half student, half tourist, his American perspective, which I thought was Mm -hmm. interesting. Right. Especially coming from a French perspective, you know, where, where you're, you're watching somebody else's interpretation of something that's familiar to you and, and just sort of an innate inherent way. And as art films, and I mean that as like, you know, the institutions about art, not art house classics. Um, Mamber in his diary kind of agreed with us uh, that like ballet prepped him. And we have the mm-hmm. added benefit of, of seeing his most recent film before this as well. Um, uh, just kind of like get in this sort of unique focus and perspective and mood of these films. Um, but this sort of subcategory is focused about the creative process, uh, such as decisions and conversations that they have to make, um, the hierarchy involved, the labor involved, the funding involved, the audience at times, um, and the tradition involved in this art form and the sort of institution at hand. Um, but one of the things that I actually wrote uh, about this probably more eloquently than I can, than I'll, I'll say here. Um, in the intro of my new interview with him. But I was thinking about the sort of bigger arc of Wiseman's career, at least since like 95. And, and one of the arcs sort of bridging all of these subcategories of art films and community films is the slow decline of resources for art and public funding and small business opportunities and handmade goods in favor of processed goods and sort of capitalist streamlining. Um, and we see this in ballet. Um, we, we see it in, in, we see snippets of all of this in, in ballet, national gallery, public housing, Belfast and Jackson Heights and Monrovia. I'm sure we're going to be talking a lot about this in the next year uh, of episodes. And then there are these small pockets of reprieve that like, Ex Libris, which isn't, you know, like, um, remote from, from these things, but, uh, still can feel like, mm-hmm. like a reprieve, uh, or menu plus year that for the most part feel like he's found a place where some of that handcrafted process or like personalized business or public funding and care for public access still exists. Mm-hmm. And with, uh, La Comedie Francais, uh, if we see this in like, it's addition by subtraction, in other words, he, he's taken with how the country, the, the French nation has dedicated a healthy part of its budget to sustain the, this institution for centuries. And that perspective is informed by him being an American. So that sort of larger arc is like, this is baked into that larger arc. And um, his mm-hmm. perspective is built from being from a country where resources for this kind of thing just are hard to come by and where that interest is just not implied in, in America. And obviously he knows this firsthand as a documentary filmmaker who has had to scrounge to finance films for decades. Yeah. It's so interesting coming into this film straight from ballet where, you know, financing and funding was such a struggle. You know, they're, they're, they're essentially saying in one of those early scenes, I think Jane Herman was like, you know, if, if you're lucky, you can break even uh on on bringing us in town right Mm -hmm. like here the problem is the giving the perception that you're too well off because then you'll stop (laughs) your your state subsidies will go down because they won't think you need it anymore which is interesting and 
like you're saying, the the American context, which like from my experience in the nonprofit sector, uh, applying for grants is like the general rule of thumb is they won't fund you until you don't need it anymore because they want to see that you are already able to achieve success without them. And then they can lend funding to that and say, you know, look at the great work we're supporting, uh, rather than, yeah. than supporting work to make it successful. Uh, so it's, it's like the, the complete opposite of what we see in, in the comedy front side. And I think his film is, is a rebuttal to, uh, the, the criticisms that you were pointing out about sort of like, where is the cynicism or, or whatever you want to call it is like his rebuttal is like, well, why don't you go there and check it out <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and like be awed by this implicit interest in funding and keeping this thing alive for centuries. Um, yeah, it's yeah. It, I mean, it's it's foreign in a literal sense, you know. It's in France and it's in French, but it's like just kind of as an American who's interested in the arts, like just completely foreign <laughs> in, a, yeah. in a structural sense. Like, yeah, yeah. And and it's something Weissman talks a lot about in the interviews about this film, but it's something that's definitely conveyed in the film. If if you have just you know the barest of knowledge of what mm-hmm. it is to fund the arts in the U.S., especially you know post that sort of 80s row with like piss christ and Mablethorpe and everything uh did you want to get into the discourse contemporaneous discourse i mean we're going to sooner or later right yeah uh there's a lot for this uh it's surprising yeah yeah it's kind of cool um it was fun to, to to dig into so i guess bear it with us but also it should be fun if you listen to this program, I guess. <laughs> um, but I, I wanted to highlight a couple of miscellaneous things um, first that aren't complete uh, mm-hmm. uh, entries, I guess. But uh, so, for instance, I want to highlight one small snippet about um, this film in an interview with Gerald Perry. Um, I think you might actually bring this up later, uh, but I believe it was first in the in the Boston Phoenix, and I think it's no longer available online, which is unfortunate. Um, but basically, he's asked about uh, La Comedie Francaise and from an interviewer that had difficulty with it, and Wiseman responds saying that he thinks it's an abstract film and says that says what he thinks he's doing is playing around with a lot of ideas about what constitutes love. And that that idea informs the sequences, both the rehearsals and the performances. Um, and then there's another uh, isolated quote that is referenced by Darman. Uh, it's from an article called uh, Wiseman Chronicler of the Western World. And he says it's in the notes. He says that it's the only text on Wiseman available in French and that it's like an essential tool. Mm. Um <clears throat> which is cool uh, just to see. Um, and he's he, the, the quote he pulls for uh, this film is in my other films, which talk about American life today, I have always sought to show the theatricality of everyday life. And I started from the principle that a documentary should reveal everything that makes real theater, comedy, sadness, courage, cruelty, and banality. This attempt to reveal the theatricality of everyday life is the very essence of my way of proceeding. This film about comedy Francais was an opportunity to observe and comment on various aspects of real theater. In a way, it is a bit of the opposite process, the search for the ordinary behind the fiction and the entertainment of the theater. 
So uh, one, I like the way he talks about the theatricality of everyday life, uh, the way that we have talked about the theme performance. And two, it's just, yeah. uh, it's, it's useful to think about this film as an inverse of this focus that we talk about. And this dialectic, right, between theater and reality that mm-hmm. is central to documentary filmmaking, uh, no matter what's what it's about, but right. also the like like the the feedback loop, I guess, as it plays out in real life, um, you know, of uh, social events informing new works of art and culture. Oh, those yeah. works then playing back into society and being filtered through and informing people's perceptions on issues, and you know, so on and so on and so on. Yeah, that's that's well said. Um. Okay, so we have the interview from IDA, which is, what is that, the uh, International Documentary Association? Is that right? That, that is correct, yes. Lance Bird. Lance Bird, great name. Um, <laughs> Lance he said, Legend. <laughs> <laughs> he says someone at, uh, at Comedy Friends uh, wanted, wanted him to make a doc, and, and Fred was looking to make one in France for a while. Um, and how in the winter of 94, he spent a lot of time there hanging around. I think he, he said for three months he was there, like getting permissions and seeing the place. And also that gave the actors some time to get used to him being around by, by the time filming started. Um, he talks right. about how, how Davey lit the statues and the busts and, and one admin scene because the natural light wasn't enough otherwise. Uh, he was, of course, benefiting from the existent stage lighting though um same and, as in model yes what we talked about. Yeah. exactly uh and the interview asks uh wiseman about cutaways and why he chose to structure the film the way that he did and uh he says he gets the feeling it means more than just transitions the interviewer said and what's cool is that when when he then asks wiseman if he's familiar with eugene atkitt's work uh, who is, well, we'll get to that, but, uh, Wiseman says, yes, yes. Um, and if you don't, if you don't know Ackett's work, he was a, a photographer in Paris that worked in, in the late 1800s and early 1900s documenting, documenting Paris. And, um, uh, his photos work similarly to the way we talk about city symphonies in film. And, uh, he documented Paris at a changing time. So, um, I found it incredibly interesting that one, these like cutaways, lily pad things, is given a French interpretation and contextualized by its place. And two, that we are able to pick up on a potential influence of Wiseman's, which is characteristically outside of the film world. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But it's worth reading his full, his his response in full. So uh, this is what he said. Also, I wanted to give a sense of everyday life, but I did a similar thing in model where there are street scenes that connect the scenes in the model's agency with the various other scenes shot in photographer studios. So in this film, I was aware of how those scenes can fulfill more than one purpose. There's the literal, literal purpose of showing you something of Paris, but they also serve the abstract and metaphorical purpose of giving you a sense of what everyday life on the streets looked like. It also gives you a sense of the past. For example, the bridge over the Seine that you see several times in this film is the bridge that Moliere's company first performed on in the 17th century, which I thought was very cool. Um, and they also talk about editing at length, um, but nothing too revelatory in the process. Yeah. Um, well, you know, the, the pillow shots here, it's interesting. He invokes model because I 
kept thinking of near death as right the nearest corollary the, the the bridge in the Seine, you know is just like the charles river that opens near mm-hmm. death in boston you know and then we keep going outside of the institution we keep getting all these exterior shots similar to city hall too um but like uh, interesting to think about coming out of ballet where most of there were some of these street scenes but most of the kind of transitional pillow scenes were interiors like in the institution doing like hallways or you know things like that um, so to sort of open up the institution to th- the broader context and uh, outside world which was something I was kind of uh, lamenting was lacking in ballet is, is present in la comedy Francais. um and also just um yeah as far as the the sort of impressions of paris we also you know are uh, privy to that there there seems to be some geographical proximity to the louvre um you know so it's it's within this greater cultural milieu mm-hmm. um and also driving at night seems just miserable uh, in Paris would not want to do that. Um, but, but it was interesting in this interview. I thought that bird, um, includes zoo and the store when he's talking about like, you know, these sort of institutional examinations that are Weissman's kind of core or the, what people <laughs> know him for when those films came out, people saw them as departures, right? you know, and sort of the way over time, uh, as he expands his interests uh-huh. and focus, like what's considered to be sort of traditionally Weissman-esque, you know, uh, and, and now we would certainly, we have like a whole series of these sort of cultural films that don't make them seem so much as departures as they are just, you know, occupying a specific place within his body of work. Yeah, that is, that is really interesting. Um, and something we kind of talk about later that Darman said of, of like kind of pointing out that those are not considered, uh, central by by many people and I mean so many people still haven't seen Zoo like a lot of like yeah, Wiseman yeah. fans haven't seen something like Zoo but um, um, Land, Bird also asked him about the two cameras or if he shot more than one camera um, so that was cool to, to like get confirmation considering some of the cuts that he does here that he was only using one mm-hmm. um, he also asked him about working in France for the first time and um Wiseman replies, I thought there might be a problem because I've never worked in foreign language before and I've never worked in another culture and French, which is debatable. And French friends of mine said it would not be possible to make the same kind of movie with French people I make with Americans, but it wasn't true at all. And he was right. I mean, you know, there's, there's a reason it's called cinema verite, right? Like, (laughs) (laughs) I like, I, I really appreciated that Lance Bird also asked him about microphones like he's yeah, like, what's your favorite microphone? Like w- nobody ever asked him about that. And uh, he, I mean, well, he's he's a filmmaker as well. It should be noted, and it seemed like he was trying to get as much technical information <laughs> out of Fred as possible. I but, see. But that that revelation uh, from Fred is that they used a lot more radio mics on this film than than they typically would, uh, which I guess is necessary considering that. Uh, Fred can't be on stage with the performances mm-hmm. to hold the boom up to, you know, the, the people talking. So that that makes a lot of sense. But but also more than usual, you know, thinking back on some scenes we've talked 
about like uh, the the ski lesson in Aspen or like um, somebody biking up a hill in Sinai Field Mission, you know, that that and he said before they use them sparingly, but but just thinking about them as being a regular part of the technical uh, production of these films. Yeah, it, again, like makes me think about the garden and the way it sound. We'll we'll have to find out at some point how the sound was recorded mm, yeah, in the garden, like where where there's just yeah. so many big speakers and whatnot. Yeah. Um, Charlie Rose, great sure. interview. Did you have yeah, anything I'm, else on Lance? <laughs> no, no, let's do it. Okay, yeah. um, I highly recommend watching this Charlie Rose interview. Um, I think it's just at, really at this point they really have a rapport. Yeah, you yeah. Know, it seems like he's the new and, uh, studs. <laughs> yeah, right. And like, like you, you definitely notice something different in the character of Weissman's willingness to engage in the Charlie Rose interviews oh, yeah. than in his typical interviews. You know, like yeah, for sure. yeah. Um, he asked him about France's commitment to culture, and Weissman talks about the budget, which he's very happy to do, and. Um, Again, it gives his answer gives us an insight into into his perspective on on France, um, and which we see uh, reverberating here throughout the film. Um, but he talks about the hierarchical nature of theater, um, something we talked a lot about since like our Central Park episode, and and uh, and definitely on ballet and Menu Plus here, uh, with regard to hierarchies and artistic endeavors and institutions. Um, Rose also asks him about what what he's learned since follies and he and wiseman replies he says uh to be patient be prepared to be surprised and respect for the people who have given him permission and the my favorite part is when charlie rose uh implies that he's mellowed with age um, <laughs> right. because he takes he's umbrage with that yeah, he because he's made these back-to-back cultural films, which is great. Like, I think this is really cool to see this in like this sort of real-time contemporaneous thing because now um, you see, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and you get to see that his next three films were Public Housing and Belfast and Domestic Violence, so you don't right. think about it as much. But at the time, even though I don't think this is reflected in many of the reviews, uh, I wonder if that was part of the... Um, apprehension of Wiseman um, coming off of two of these arts films is that, Oh, okay. Maybe this is his new direction and he's like mellowing out. It's, it's fun to think about. Um, but he very much balks at that idea in, in an animated way. And uh, he says that people who suggest that don't know anything about his work basically. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he pulls the, the movie theater line in any hall. Um, yeah, I was with Marshall McLuhan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know nothing about my work, uh, and and he says basically that that these these films are dealing with the same issues, meaning financial issues, union issues, how public funding is used, what's available to many of the people we see elsewhere in his work, uh, culturally, and the labor that goes into creating arts and entertainment, um, and of course we can add uh, the evolving theme of performance. Yeah, and, and to kind of put a button on it, uh, he says his next film is Public Housing, and he's like, you satisfied? You know, basically, <laughs> yeah. like... <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but yeah, it's it's interesting, a couple things in there that he says he's, he's not about to embark upon a series of films about France as much as I like to go there, which is interesting in hindsight, knowing that mm-hmm. that's exactly what he's going to do uh, <laughs> yeah, eventually. Yeah. 
Um, but about what you were saying about, you know, this kind of perception about what he's doing, just the evolution of his own conception of his project, which was very, you know, US centric up until this point, he's saying, I'm trying to do as many different, I'm trying to do as many different kinds of institutions as I can to have this kind of impressionistic portrait of contemporary life. I think he used to say contemporary American life. Mm. So now he's sort of broadened his scope yeah. to just sort of what it is to be a person living in society uh, globally in, in the mid 90s. Yeah, I, I caught that impressionistic thing too. And it, it is, it does kind of like uh, your ears turn red because you're like, wait, not used to saying it, him saying something like so descriptive like that um, and using those sort of like artsy fartsy words. Um, <clears throat> so there's a man in society interview. Um, was this the French one? Yeah, Yolander Arnaud uh, is the interviewer. Okay, it starts off with like a, an interesting like summarization of Wiseman's work, um, and w which I think uh, frames it uh, interestingly. It says his work is largely built around the notion of norm, how we hammer it into our heads, how we try to enforce it or transgress it, how we apply it, how we endure it in complete helplessness. Um, and it gives examples for all those. It says the process of imposing the norm, in integrating it into a group, enunciating normality submission or transgression and then it goes on to compare his work to the this is a sociologist and he's comparing his work to the chicago school of sociologists which i'm sure all of our listeners are very familiar with the chicago school of sociologists <laughs> um and they ended with this this summary uh through the attention he pays to the verbal interactions of his characters but also to any form of nonverbal communication constituting the staging of everyday life Wiseman succeeds in highlighting the dramaturgical rules of social reality um, and I, I I repeat that only because I really like that articulation of the dramaturgical rules of social reality which goes back to what we were saying of this like flipping uh, this like inverse of of reality um, in comedy francais um, the dramaturgy because we're actually looking at dramaturgy right um, right yeah but this interview wasn't from 1996 i think it was like 2001 or something i i think they talked about some other films in there too so yeah yeah, for sure. yeah but uh briefly the chicago school which i i did not know uh, i looked up i'm not gonna pretend that i know about stuff um but uh there you know kind of feels obvious now but the whole thing was looking at how structures and institutions influence human behavior as opposed to, I guess the, the dominant mode prior was more about like genetics um, mm, and, mm, mm. and uh, personal characteristics. So, you know, very much Weissman's well, yeah, uh, that's, wheelhouse. That's, yeah. that's interesting. And, and they're talking about like the doc or the interviewers is asking him about like different modes of like storytelling or, you know, I guess sociology, um, and Wiseman ends up like sort of comparing like the novel and the film. And mm -hmm. he says, it's interesting to compare how the two forms treat the same data. Uh, he said, this is a question that interests me a lot. Take for example, the question of abstraction. When you write a novel and you go towards something more abstract, you use more abstract language in a film, at least in the kind of film I make, you can't do that directly, but you can use one of the people being filmed who uses abstract language. You can also do this indirectly by working on the structure of the film. And he goes on to compare Belfast and welfare and, and how he poses 
abstract questions in each film in different ways, one more visually uh, with Belfast and one more vocally with Welfare, of course. Totally. And, and um, you know, I think uh, this interviewer throughout seems a bit incredulous or a bit like hung up on certain preconceptions yeah, sure. he has. Um, which I, I, I meant to mention it in the last two interviews, but you, you mentioned like how he had this three month process of getting permissions before he started filming and how that, uh, sort of inherently contradicts his usual approach where Mm -hmm. like, you know, just by virtue of being there and getting those permissions, you're sort of doing research in a way that he, he always says he eschews. Yeah, it's not like he's going to be like, oh, I'm not going to even think about, like, I'm going to close my eyes. I don't want to, I don't want to like, yeah, be yeah. predisposed. To... <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the, the interviews talking a lot about, he's like hung up on things like how Weissman uh, will cut if somebody look, looks at the camera, like catches a glance at the camera and Weissman will want to cut that out. And he's like, well, aren't you lying then? You know, isn't that cut an obfuscation uh-huh. of the truth? You know, things like that. Things I think that are kind of particular to the French documentary context, you know, thinking about Jean Roche, you know, and, and the kind of literal idea of verite where the filmmaker is inserting themselves into the film, making their awareness known, you know, Weissman is saying pretty much like, you know, people aren't dumb. They know they're watching a movie, whether or not, you know, my (laughs) face and voice are in it or not. Right. Like, um, uh, and, and he, he makes no, um, illusions that a documentary is truth. You know, he says, uh, they're the interpretation of the truth. Um, so, you know, it, it is interesting to get into sort of these, uh, nationally specific ideological mm-hmm. interpretations of nonfiction film. You know, I actually read recently an interview with Roche where he was very critical of Titty Cut Follies mm. because it like didn't offer context. It didn't he didn't know what it was trying to say in terms of the message it was conveying, you know, things that that I would describe as like big baby brained. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> like like it was just kind of like, all right, I I've kind of always written off Roche a little bit while acknowledging his his uh, influence you know role in documentary but like this this kind of did it for me and and just you know seeing that conversation continued on not directly but but to challenge this notion that you're you're any less truthful if you don't reveal your you know literal presence sure. in the production of the film that you're watching interesting um and then yeah the the other thing you know talking about the we we talk a little bit later with kenji about this scene discussing marivo and the mm-hmm. sort of reflexive elements of it he doesn't mention that scene directly but he has some some quotes i pulled that speak to that scene very much and and draw those parallels so he says i make documentaries because it's fun because it interests me it's a way of looking at the world I like work. I like watching people. I like thinking about everything I see. So, you know, that, that Marivo description, you know, mm-hmm. he's talking, he says he thinks Marivo is like entertained by people. You know, he likes to consider, uh, the, the influences for behavior, you know, whether they're, uh, emotional or societal, you know, so, so even though he's not directly addressing that scene in this quote, you know, it's very evident that his views are parallel with the way Marivo is being described in that scene. Hmm. 
moving on, we got the salon interview with Richard Covington. Um, and th- or this is an interview, I think. I can't remember. Um, there's a return of the elfin descriptors uh, <laughs> up top. Um, and when asked what the appeal to uh, uh, Le Comedy Francais, Francais was, he expressly says it's tradition a couple times. Um, and Wiseman also talks about how part of the doc is, is showing resonances with broader French culture, which he says is done in wage negotiations, the sexual mores of the plays, and the hierarchical nature of the decision-making. Um, he tells an interesting story about the filming of the 100th birthday party and how it came about because of his informer uh, who told him about the party, his, his quote-unquote informer. Um, and he said he had to make a, a decision between that and going to see some set design stuff that somebody else had already like promised to take him to. And so he's, he's, it sounded like he, he felt bad for not going to that set design. Um, but he's like, you never really know which decision is going to be the right one. So you just have to use your instincts. And he said he made the, the right choice because that scene ended up bringing all of the movie's themes together, which I thought was interesting for him to be that explicit. And there's there's no shortage of set design scenes. In this right, film. right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I thought that was interesting too. Um, Covington follows up on that sentiment about like sort of bringing all the movies themes together. And Wiseman has an interesting answer about how tradition is present, how layers of performance are present, and how the theater has been religion for them. Um, I think we covered that pretty well with with Kenji. Um, uh, but Re- Wiseman reveals a bit about connections he's making between sequences of the plays and other scenes. For instance, he says he hopes the Don Juan scene about how hypocrisy is in fashion takes you back to to Mikael's ruminations on politicians and their, their boredom, how they just get into politics because they're bored. Um, mm. And he said uh, uh, the making of, of the film made him regret how little America invests in the arts. Um, and... He also said he reveals in this that uh, he wrote a script for a film adaptation of the novel Celestial Navigation, but couldn't sell it. Hmm. Yeah, that that reminds me in, in one of the other interviews, he said he would love to do the last letter, uh, which was yeah, like an I, interesting seed of something, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, uh, bird in the IDA interview noted the the like importance of the, the centenary birthday scene. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and the way it sort of snaps everything into place. So seeing that idea reiterated again here, um, and as we talk about with Kenji, you know, the scene that follows establishing tradition, uh, as being central to the institution, um, and, uh, the value of the arts and the value, uh, society places on, like the fact that there even is this, like what, like artists benefit society right. to that to begin with you know that that there's like pensions for mm-hmm. retired actors you know like uh thinking back to the working piece i read you know he's what he's his plan is to play the stock market and move to mexico you know like, right, right because it's uh you know kudos to france on on all that for sure um, there's there's a piece by uh, in the New Republic by Robert Brustein. Uh He confesses up front that he and Wiseman are friends, and I I think I I recognized his name in um, in Barry Keith Grant's chapter uh, that this film is included in. Um, he talks a lot about Wiseman's interest in in theater and how much he's done in theater. 
Um, and I believe one of the collaborations or invitations was done by Robert Brewstein. The, this was the one, I think, the American Conservatory Theater, where, where, where he played a documentarian who yeah, was yeah, filming yeah. the performance. Yeah. And I, I think I remember we found some stills from that a while ago, mm -hmm. and somebody pointed out that uh, uh, What's-His-Face, who played like the the DEA agent oh, on Breaking Bad uh, was, was, was one of Marsh, the actors maybe? there. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember. Um, yeah, that's funny. I forgot about that. Uh, so Brewstein um, calls calls it his first totally positive case for an institution and, and says it's a glowing cinematic tribute to the theater and those who work there. Um, more about the French national budget um, and stuff we, we've covered with sort of like how it plays off of American um perspective of of the arts um and brewstein has some interesting insights into the current administration of this uh theater and, and how this film shows them being a bit cautious and conservative which i think you were talking about with yeah, kenji right. um and what he means is in in its production it, its style and program choices etc and how an actor does or does not interpret a character um, that's what he's calling cautious and conservative, like the type of program they put together. Um, what I really like about this bit of criticism is that he adds to our understanding of how the film is more specifically expressing ideas of tradition, um, mm. that, that we're not really aware of unless you're digging into it. Um, or rather the always present conflict of tradition within an art institution like this, um, but he talks about the budget meetings and says the scenes are like watching paint dry. Um, but they are the tedious business that makes possible the exciting life of the stage. Um, and I couldn't really tell if he really didn't like the sort of stuff that you and I like elsewhere, like the sewing and the set design and technician stuff. Like he just wants to see the actors doing their thing, which it makes yeah. sense more sense now knowing that he's in the business of theater, mm -hmm. um, that he's just, he just wants to see the, the, he wants to see the, the juice, not the squeeze. Um, and he says the film is about family and how family looks after its own, mentioning the scenes around, center around the elderly. Um, and at the end, he says, at a time when people in our own country tend to distrust institutions, Wiseman has managed to dramatize it, how a generous artistic organization endowed with an honored tradition and proper government support can be a source of extraordinary nourishment for its members and for its audiences. Beautiful. Um, yeah, he, you know, despite the criticisms, he calls the film curiously moving and he ends by giving it an A. Uh, so. <laughs> That's right. He, I mean, he's in the bag for this movie, right? Like, yeah, yeah, for sure. Not, not yeah. because he's a friend even, but like, this is almost a piece of advocacy for him on a cultural mm, sense. Right. Yeah. Right. The, the, the idea that this, as he says, is like the only what, like you were saying, hundred percent positive, yeah. you know, engagement kind of thing. Um, but it's interesting that the thing you were noting about like the conservatism of the performances here relatively, um, that we discuss later a bit, but thinking about this scene that we discuss a lot about, uh, Don Juan interpretation. C'est une formidable négation de Dieu. Ah oui, justement, et pas que de Dieu. Non, et de dire au nom de l'homme. Um, and the, the, uh, stress is put not on you know what does this mean so much as what is the original intent 
of the meeting. Like it's not it's not so much relevant, you know, how it necessarily contextualizes within a modern framework so much as what was he trying to convey and we need to convey what that was, right? Mm-hmm. Like it it's it's very baked into uh everything at least about this one performance, you know, and uh you know, it, it sounds like they kind of shot themselves in the foot going uh, straying from that a little bit in terms of their reception with their audience. Um, right. But, but uh, that idea uh, is just very cherished that, that they are conveying what the author wants them to convey and not their interpretation of the author's work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Bristine ends the interview or review rather um the Weissman's film is a testament to the positive influence of a benign environment on the character of a people. You know, this sort of dichotomy that's implied in the film and Weissman explicitly ad- addresses in interviews of just the value of arts and culture for a society. Right. Um, both, you know, kind of uh, in an abstract sense and in a material sense with funding. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's a brief uh, French... Uh, Review from Liberation um, by Rene Soli, Sole um, calls it a masterstroke um, and encourages viewers to, um, well, it says that it's not easy to access. And, and what I like is that it encourages viewers to immerse yourself in it as he immersed himself in the subject and accept a decidedly non-educational bias, which is just a refreshing thing to, to like read after, after like going through a lot of these that right. we'll get to. Um, but he says, uh, get used to an aesthetic that is the polar opposite of TV cleanliness. Wiseman's images take the time to move, to take stock, accommodate the lack of light, never confuse poetry with well-polished. In short, bear witness to a time when filming was a matter of simplicity, length of time, and depth of field. Yeah, I mean, I you, you said uh, all the pull quotes I had for this one. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> but, not very long. <laughs> yeah, but but to yeah think think about the way so many friggin' interviewers are just crying about context and not being told who people are or what plays are called. You know, even though you can glean it if you listen to what they're <laughs> talking <laughs> about. You know, it's pretty clear what plays they are. Um, but to say, you know, you have to immerse yourself, you know, it's, it's not going to work otherwise, at least, at least there's that recognition and maybe it's a French thing. Uh, I don't know, right, right. but yeah. we'll, we'll get, yeah, we'll definitely get into more of, of, uh, these reactions. Um, and Mamber talks about it as well, but the variety article, which Mamber takes issue with, um, says it's the, well, Daniel Kimmel, uh, says it's the first Wiseman film that can be reasonably called an audience pleaser. <laughs> Um, highlights the scene of acid. I was, <laughs> I had to like stop and just like, you know, like Weebay and the wire, just like, uh-huh. <laughs> it highlights the scene of actor Roland Bertin, Bertin, uh, discussing at length the meaning of the phrase, which we talk a lot about. It says the hundredth birthday party of Saliard is one of the rare moments where Wiseman strikes gold. Um, which is funny. He says that I wonder if it was on his goldies list. Um, probably he says that actors and students of, of theater will study this film for years, although he doesn't say why they would be studying it and just kind of treating it with safety gloves, you know, like as like this educational text, like, Oh man, students are going to love this. 
Yeah. Like, what do you care? Um, anyway, once again, variety coverage ends by complaining about a lack of context. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the variety articles always seem hyper concerned with who this is for, you know, what the audience is. And ultimately, they always say, you know, it's public television. Here they say a hard sell outside of public television festivals and special bookings. Audience uh, pleaser, though. Right, yeah, his most accessible project to date, he says. This like nearly four-hour is... foreign language, <laughs> yeah. you know, like almost half just very detailed, you know, like, like, uh, you know, uh, it's just crazy because Variety, in particular, they're bent in all these reviews we've read over the years. Like they always complain about not being able to get into it, about a lack of context. But even though he's taking more or less, you know, his, uh, you know, standard approach here, like for, I, I think it can only be attributed to the fact that this author, you know, is into theater or is into French things. Mm -hmm. I think there, there seemed to be a sense, uh, I think early on he said, you know, something like francophones, you know, uh, uh, should delight francophones and francophiles yeah, should delight yeah. in this film, you know, like, so, so there's this kind of just like fetishistic aspect about France, maybe at play and also coming from variety, um, this idea uh, that's that's a little um, juvenile about just like I just want to see actors performing. I want to see like you know a story be told as it is in a play. You know like mm -hmm. and so much of that is contained within the film here. So like like I think I think it it, it gives them a foothold uh, that the way the other films don't into acting and performance and screenplays. You know that are things they're meant to consider when they're considering, you know, the regular Hollywood studio output uh, that Weissman doesn't typically offer. Yeah. It's so funny to think like, Oh, this is an, like audiences are going to love this movie. Like uh, <laughs> crazy. The, the, stu the students in that class that are studying, they're going to love this movie. Like to jump from <laughs> like, this is perfect for students after saying it's an audience. Like it just doesn't make any sense to me, but um, yeah. He says, Un unlike in his other films, Weissman here is blessed with a cast composed largely of actors and says they play to the audience of the camera, making the film more entertaining than the average documentary. So while, you know, that's boneheaded, I think <laughs> something we haven't discussed, though, is, is the nature of having actors as your subjects, your documentary subjects, right? Mm -hmm. and And sort of... You know, I, I don't think, and Weissman certainly doesn't think that it changes sort of the character of the pro-filmic in any significant way. Um, but I, I do think there are maybe some flourishes that we get, you know, particularly in the Don Juan scene we like to talk mm -hmm. about. I think that guy is bloviating for an audience yeah, in right. a way he may not have otherwise. But even even small gestures like the the way each actor sort of puts their own little flourish on the way they cast a ballot when they're all voting, you know, oh, yeah. sticking yeah, their yeah. ballot in the box, you know, uh -huh. just it's not it's not maybe there's some performance of the camera i can't say but i think it speaks to the truth of actors as like a class right. of people you absolutely. know and absolutely like just like how they do their thing yeah um the daily news of new york with Kay gardella um starts with a whimsical bit about how pbs must not anticipate many viewers because it's programmed during labor day weekend at 9 p.m right. but that the losers are the ones at the beach 
<laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, she uh, loved it. Yeah. yeah, very laudatory. Calls it engrossing, never boring, seamless, rewarding, and flows very easily. A remarkable, undertaking, fascinating, totally absorbing, seamless, rewarding journey. This is indeed a Weissman winner. Yeah, that's it's so funny. The- <laughs> like, I'm not going to, I mean, I'm not going to like uh, complain about the ones that are that like it, but it's funny after reading through a bunch of these, like the ones that do like it are just like so filled with adjectives. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the ones that don't like it, it's almost like the ones that don't like it are more specific about why they don't like it than the ones that do like mm-hmm. it, why yeah. they do like it. That's, I think that's accurate. Yeah. And I mean, I was surprised. I was surprised because of the tenor of most of the reviews of most of the films we've read uh, across this project. And also just like you talk about knowing this is like among his least seen documentaries uh, and among those who've seen it, you know, I'll, I'll speak to myself, you know, it's not particularly high up on the totem pole. Of, no. you know Weissman's great works so to come in and see so many you know daily news and variety things that are you know kind of general uh, audience oriented publications you know come in and be like this is the one you know you gotta see la comedie francois <laughs> <laughs> if you're gonna watch any Weissman film this nearly four hour foreign language documentary like like i i was i was surprised to to encounter that I agree. Um, the the Boston Globe by Michael Blowen uh, says it's exquisitely detailed. Uh, it feels short despite near four hours. Um, calls it multifaceted exploration of art and the commerce of theater. Um, says the work requires discipline, but it's worth it. And that the film will change our perception of theater going forward. Meaning, in a, I think he meant on an individual basis. Like now, we will we'll think about the hard work that goes into making something that feels effortless. Like when you go to see the theater, you'll your perception will be changed because you've seen this. Right, right. You know, I think I think to what you were just saying about the reviews that like it. I think it's mostly synopsis and praise. You know, mm-hmm. um, but but that you know I think is true of any Weissman film. You know, if next time I go to a racetrack. Next right, time right. I go to a department store. Next you time know, I go to a, a domestic violence shelter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, um, but yeah. yeah, so not not particularly insightful in that way, I guess. But it, but you know, I think I think something that's probably relevant among you know reviewers, newspaper reviews in general is you know they're probably theater folk, and some people say it explicitly. And and I know there was one review L.A. Times, in here, Laurie L.A. Moyne. Times, yeah, who is explicitly a theater critic, which is not something we normally see in these reviews. Yeah, so she, uh, I I like in this one how she mentions the box office scene, and which seems to to stick out um, oh, yeah. to yeah. to a lot of people, and and says. Seeing some of them making a decision on which seats to buy look like they're making a life and death choice and that the film is smart for capturing and using scenes like this because they just say so much about uh, what the theater means to uh, Parisian life. Um, Overall, she just kind of highlights the painstaking detail that the doc foregrounds and and that it takes every bit of the production very seriously in an affectionate way. Yeah, um, she says that 
it seems that theater people have the most wonderful job in the world, you know, <laughs> <laughs> something that, that probably speaks to her, you know, role as a theater critic and her, her reverence for live theater. For sure. Um, but, you know, laments in a typical way that we see that he doesn't identify the plays, even though, again, they're, they're spoken, you know, I, I don't know if she just wants text on screen telling us the titles, um, but it's there if you're looking for it. Though she does, uh, you know, correctly note that Weissman places his faith in the viewer to suss all this out on his own, on their own, yeah. rather. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, and again, there is this, uh, envious element here that like you know i'm sure is even more acutely have felt among theater professionals of like god you know france has it so good with this mm-hmm. stuff you know mm-hmm. why can't why can't we have a similar structure in place for the arts yeah definitely um the nu time ny times return of john j o'connor jj uh JJO, performers everywhere should be enchanted. Ordinary mortals may get itchy. Patience, though, is rewarded with precious moments and delicious insights. Uh, he is the only reviewer to point out the uh, Woody Allen photo in the actor's dressing room, <laughs> which is so funny. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's a big photo. Yeah. Uh, he recognizes that Wiseman is making this film from the perspective of an American um, and is sort of like beguiled by the fa- financing available. And O'Connor mentions that Wiseman is unleashing a salvo since he struggles to fund his films, as we've talked about. But not a whole lot here. Interesting coming from somebody who we've read on Wiseman before. uh, You know, he seems a bit more tepid uh, Mm. in his praise. He's like, he should struggle to fund some of these movies. (laughs) He he calls it an exhausting three hours and 40 minutes uh, and suggested that viewers tape the film and watch it in installments. (laughs) Um, But I have two tapes. Yeah. Two tapes ready. He he can yeah for real or or what the EP um, yeah <laughs> but turn, or uh, long, long play I don't remember turn it to two forty or whatever yeah yeah um, but concludes with saying like the arts and culture can still matter immensely um, which I I thought kind of made it all sound like he was just writing this against a deadline and trying to turn it in uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> you know like like okay yeah I guess that's the takeaway sure. There's uh there's one from SF Gate uh by Stephen Wynn, which I don't think we've come across this before. And mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of written as if like uh trying to describe Wiseman to to people, um and talks about how rigorous and detailed it is and says theater professionals will find their own struggles affirmed and avid theater goers will have their sense of awe enriched. Um not not a whole lot to this one. Yeah, and I mean we've we've mentioned this before, but it, it was really impressed upon me going through all these interviews still how much everyone feels required to talk mm-hmm. about who Weissman is, what films mm-hmm. he's done before, what his deal is that he doesn't do narration. You know, <laughs> that takes up like the first half of some oh, of these yeah, reviews. Yeah. Oh, you know? Okay, follies. Yep. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, there, there are those who, you know, seem like their whole impression of Weissman is based on Follies and then, you know, they're mm-hmm. comparing this film to Follies or their their impressions of him based on what well, happened with that film, you know. The, our last review does exactly that, though. Right. The WAPO, Lloyd Rose, he talks about how he keeps his technique that he pioneered in the 60s with Follies, which many, like, yeah, as, right. as if it's a vacuum. He goes, you know what? Yeah. I think I'm going to do that 
technique again for this one. Like, um, yeah. uh, but he says it's appropriate for a film on a French subject since, since, quote, some French literary theories hold that to write clearly is to establish a totalitarian power that forces the reader to follow the writer's meaning. Um, and then it, it kind of seems a bit condescending. Um, he says, ultimately, his hands-off approach, which is condescending, um, of course, like to call it hands-off, uh, ranges from inadequate to perverse for American audiences. And he says it has long passages that are just fully incomprehensible um, and adds that the, the approach reduces the theater to something generic as if to that, imply... That made no sense to me at all. As if to imply like note cards and titles or whatever would just like guide us to realizing how important this stuff is like, Oh, this actor is a great actor. Uh, like, like all this stuff. Yeah. He keeps complaining that, that you're not learning anything from the film about the theater. Um, and ends by saying it's for graduate students in theater yeah, right. history. And, and there's no internal consistency in this one because he says in Weissman's other films that American audiences are able to fill in contextual gaps with their own cultural knowledge because, you know, they will, would have, interacted with institutions and had similar experiences um but here they're unable to do that because it's france yet uh he then goes on to say that uh this thing you were saying about you know things being that reducing the company to being generic um and uh you know with a lot of they just have stage hands and seems to show the budget meetings. Um, but I think you could very easily make the argument that we're able to understand all that with our own cultural knowledge, even though that we're not French, you know, that like to understand the relationship between labor and theater, to understand the relationship between uh, the behind the scenes elements and the performances, you know, like that's just all very apparent and I think right. contradicts uh, what he was saying earlier. Um, he says, uh, not a democratic film. Not sure what he means, <laughs> yeah, by, yeah. what he means by that. Um, and he wonders also about the perception and the place of uh, the institution within France. He says the film doesn't offer us that, but I think it's pretty readily gleanable for the reasons we've discussed about, you know, that there even is this substantial subsidy uh, that's a part of their budget, right? And that it is, uh, as established within the, the pillow and the transitional scenes, you know, within this larger cultural milieu of, like, you know, uh, global quality institutions, you know, that is all in the film if you're watching it and willing right. to engage with it and not just looking to be told things. Um, so, well, yeah. We, we on, on, the, <clears throat> on the ballet episode we talked a bit about this, like kind of reassessing what Wiseman's technique meant for each film. Mm -hmm. And, uh, <clears throat> member, uh, does the same in his diary entry for, for this film. Um, in response to the variety piece, like I said, but particularly he might as well be addressing the, the WAPO article. Um, he mentions that, that there's a lot of unknown things here that viewers may want identified. However, that misses the point of, of just, how that limits the process of allowing for viewer investigation and curiosity. Um, and generally says you shouldn't expect something else from Wiseman. Like at this point, like, you know, these reviewers, it's like, okay, you've seen a dozen of his films. You go, huh? I wonder if he's starting to use titles and cues and voiceover. <laughs> <Yeah>. Nope. <laughs> not this time. Yeah. Um, but, uh, 
remember it's almost like they're trying to will something into existence like if they yeah, say it yeah. enough and Reisman reads enough reviews that he'll he'll understand uh, the error of his ways and and do a corrective on the next one yeah for sure um what i like it is that member it does talk about what you're saying like about how much there is here for you to discover context mm. contextually like context wise to like if you're paying attention you can pick up who somebody is their name um if you want you can you can google madame Salyar or you know right. um you can look up these institutions like i googled like uh the geography of the building like mm-hmm. it's it it's not it's not hard but like a lot of it is just on the screen like you can just pick it up if you're paying attention and, right. and being an active curious viewer absolutely yeah i mean uh, uh it's not hard you know i yeah i was look i looked up Marivaux, i looked up the double inconsistency you know what's what's this play about obviously you're not going to be doing this typically if you're watching it in the theater or whatever no, but, but like but yeah i mean like you, you don't need to know those elements they may be uh points of curiosity and expand your knowledge but like like that's not what the film is about right no but say like aspen you know they're talking about felicity in the the um book club uh, the character in that book, like that might be a great example of somebody like, like being curious and wanting to read the short story that they're talking about and thinking more generally totally. about this conversation that they're having. Yeah. Um, but I think what, what I find interesting in this film with this, this impulse uh, from reviewers and this want of context seems to come not only because it's, it's in a different language and country, but because the film is, is about a very historically significant institution. So I think there's this impulse to be like, Oh cool. I'm going to learn about this thing that I've heard a lot about that I can't go to easily or this place that I love. And I get to now like learn more about the history. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, you just like Weissman always talks about his, in his own approach. And we've talked about before with audience engagement, you know, you're, you're coming in with preconceptions at your own detriment, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, of what to expect of what, uh, is warranted to make this a successful film about the comedy Francais, like, like you need to go in as he does, uh, you know, with, uh, reacting to the experience, the films are a reaction to his experience filming it. So there's no other way to view it than as a, as, as a, a reaction to that experience. It's not, it's not ever going to be comprehensive. Um, it's not ever going to be expositional, you know, I mean, it's like going to, you know, it's funny cause AI people were doing this with AI online, uh, recently, but it's like going to, um, an art exhibit and, and like looking at the screen and be like, man, I just really wish I could see what was like down that street. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, oh, was yeah. there like a restaurant over there? I'm curious. Or like, oh, is this by that one apartment? Yeah. Okay. I wish I could just open this up a little bit and and see more <laughs> like it doesn't matter like this is what you're given totally and if you're interested in art then you, you then you you take it and 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 there's there's just, again there's just so much told to us here if you're listening for it you know like like just because it's not like the comedy francais was founded by moliere in the 17th century who, the, yeah, yeah you know like like who yeah exactly so like, <laughs> like but you i i know all of that because i watched the film even though mm-hmm. it wasn't like expository dialogue right right 
Um, yeah. Uh, moving on. Um, I wanted to say just like, uh, you know, we talked about the hundredth birthday of Madame Celliart, uh, with, um, mm-hmm. Kenji, but, uh, I wanted to just briefly talk about just like uh, old people in Wiseman's films because, um, you know, there's the lady in the meeting, the like negotiations talking about old people and teeth and phones to talk to people instead of being alone, um, which is a great like, like um, de facto foreshadowing for like it builds on the scene in the next film, like one of the best scenes in in that film, public housing about... um, a woman and a phone, uh, an old woman and a phone that we'll talk about. But, um, I think there's this general idea of caring for our elderly that, that is like, uh, blossoming in his work and, and the idea of honoring or like being interested in, um, our elderly uh, is present in this and ballet. And, and again, like I said, in public housing, um, there's this sort of just like, tribunal sense and, and a sense of like yielding yourself before someone with a lifetime of knowledge um and just a life lived yeah i mean you know we i guess that's another way to uh another angle th- or lens through which to view this idea of tradition we're talking about yep, you know yeah. just the the importance of cultural tradition but how how is that passed down it, it's only passed down through the people who live through it right like, uh, as we talk about with that great Sami scene, talking with a younger actor about, you know, pronu- pronouncing syllables, yeah. you yep. know, and things. So like that, uh, there is no, uh, lineage there is no cultural traditional lineage in the arts without you know the in this case literal actors i was just going to say that the actors um who but but in this case you know they're thespians uh who make it happen (laughs) so like like you know the uh as it as in many placier uh you know it's it's the father to the son right like and he's uh in that right. point as we we talked about younger than weissman even um but yeah you know interesting to think about weissman i guess as a, as a growing uh i think i think a couple re- uh pieces we read referred to him as a doyan of documentary you know oh, this yeah. like like sort of the sort of you know top central figure of importance you know and thinking about uh just his you know he he uh we don't have mazels anymore right like you know yeah. like like of that we don't have the drew folk anymore you know weissman's still around and he's still making films and it's funny i guess davy is part of that too but um uh i mean i that uh, <sighs> That's kind of what I wanted to talk, like, I wanted to find a way to talk to him about this or like not, not be so explicit, but try to tap into a conversation 
that related somehow to this idea of tradition uh, that he's a part of. And also just like, you know, try to like yield yourself to somebody who is old and has a lot of experience and has done a lot. And, um, but he's just not very interested in, in having that, at least like publicly, um, like he's not interested in placing himself within a legacy of, uh, nonfiction filmmaking or filmmaking in general. Like he's just kind of like, you know, I, I'm, I'm just working on the next project, you know, or I, I'm just working on this project and this is what I'm doing. Um, it, you know, and I think a lot of that is just because he's, he's, uh, modest, uh, in a sense, um, whether that's false or not, um, about, you know, he's not going to be like, Oh yeah, yeah. I've, I've influenced a lot of people, <laughs> right, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. um, probably sound that thinks that sounds like, like assholey, but, um, but yeah, uh, it's just, uh, it's interesting to think about. Well, I mean, and, and we have our own, you know, experience with contemporary filmmakers, obviously on this program, right. who talk about, you know, the the central importance of Weissman uh, to their their practice. So, like, you know, he he doesn't need to say that. I mean, his his no uh, his last name is a adjective, you know, at mm-hmm. this point. <laughs> it's right. still, I think, I think in Doc NYC there was a a program note I just read that referred to something as being like Weissman esque or in the Weissman tradition, right? It's just he is the shorthand for a certain type of documentary right. film. Um, I have a couple spare notes. Go for it. Mem- Member has a, a great paragraph about how dense the the film short sequences are, mm-hmm. and he mentions the cafeteria scene. Um, he he says we see French attention to food. You know they're like brulee <laughs> the cream, yeah, um, and uh, frying the steaks and stuff, and says that the only minorities are uh, we see are working there. Um, and then you also see the dedication of these two young actors as they, they work until everyone is gone. And he kind of talks about the shot sequencing, mm-hmm. which is really cool. Um, but there's also a quick shot in there of the food in the case. And it's shot like a, a painting from uh, Wayne um, Thibault. I, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but the guy, the pop art guy who does all the, the cakes and stuff mm-hmm. um and i just thought that was interesting to think about um after hearing this reference to eugene Atkit um and how taken uh wiseman was with his photography um i also wanted to point out that darmon in his book said that the opening on different busts recalls the opening shots in primate of the of the great scientists and i thought that that was a really yeah, yeah, yeah. really good <laughs> pickup of that too yeah, not not something I uh, really we were really discussed with that film in terms of like tradition, uh, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. It's, uh, cer- certainly present and more so in retrospect as he gets into these these films. Um, but yeah, I, I picked up on that. I really like that passage from Amber as well. You know, just speaking to everything we've been talking about about how rich and dense you know uh, the information is available if you're looking for it just through the observation of a cafeteria right mm-hmm, and we mm-hmm. also see uh that that the cafeteria is like street level you can you can look in on it uh from the sidewalk which i thought was just kind of you know a little interesting tidbit um but yeah yeah i mean M- mamber says he loves it he says this is one of his favorites yeah said and, he, and... he was he would watch it again if he didn't have more <laughs> at that time yeah, yeah. um but thinking thinking about like 
this primate thing and, and you said we weren't really talking about tradition. Are there ways that maybe we were talking about it, but not in the same uh, light? Like I'm thinking the bicentennial with, with meat mm. Um, mm. and how that's playing on sort of a tradition of murder and, you know, normalization right. of murder or something like that. But are there, are there other Especially ways on the American frontier? Yeah. Yeah. Are there other ways that, that you think when you just think like quickly mm. about, um, past well works. certainly the the other bicentennial film right, right. canal, canal zone, zone right. is all about this uh, uh imagined tradition may or may mm-hmm. not actually exist but the performance of, or continuation yeah, of that sure. tradition you know um uh i guess you know hospital uh because that's kind of maybe the first of these films you know interesting to th- somebody see you know uh or we talked about earlier somebody saying that this was like the first 100% positive, you know, we, we kind of identified hospital as being a mostly positive, at least relative to the three films that preceded it. But that sort of the Hippocratic tradition that spans, you know, back millennia, um, Mm -hmm. uh, continuing, you know, with, a, a largely free services to this community who need it. Um, so that, uh, is another place that, yeah, I would, I would see that. Interesting. And and I mean, you know, Follies uh, uh, continues maybe a more shameful tradition of uh, a medical engagement with the mentally ill. Uh, sure. You know. Yeah, I think there are ways that other films, like The Store as well, like flirt with tradition, but maybe aren't as overtly uh, interested in it. Well, I mean, yeah. you know, Model 2 engages with the tradition of uh, representation of beauty, you know, mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. you know, you can trace back to Renaissance paintings and things like that, you know, and, and modern interpretations as distorted and uh, viewed through the capitalist lens. And Aspen is, is sort of like the clash of of uh, these people that seem like they want to start a new tradition, you know, like the nouveau riche. And then you have like this family at the center, this like centerpiece uh 40th anniversary scene kind of uh mm, the, yeah the clashing of like the people who have been there and are sort of like the blue collar like people and then the people who move there to start this life of luxury kind of this lifestyle um this sort of burgeoning tradition and i mean how about um maneuver you know just thinking about the tradition of american imperialism and war and violence you know Mm -hmm. something that's very relevant today um uh, but like you know the ways i guess thinking about the elderly you know the people in that film who lived through the nazi era right right you know right and now we're just watching this right yeah (laughs) and 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 where traditions conflict and intersect because obviously they're not able to carry out what was what their uh, lived experience was because they lost Mm -hmm. the war and now you know they're under the auspices of nafta uh and the u.s so like now it's uh the u.s tradition coming in and supplanting the german tradition um uh which you know uh could stand some supplanting uh of its own um so yeah, I mean, you know, I guess this has been a, a little productive exercise for us. I, I guess we got to watch all these films again and do new episodes <laughs> on them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we'll certainly be talking about uh, tradition going forward. I think it's especially uh, um, present in something like Belfast, but but we will mm. we will get there in due time. Um, we're all out of books. 
<laughs> what? So what no trivia mean? question this time. Oh yeah, I'm so sorry. Well, um, I want to ask you like what you know, similar to kind of how we were talking about ballet, like what's your history or engagement with theater? Like, do you have much of one or? No, I don't. I mean, I, you know, was in, I think, uh, a passion play once or twice. And then, um, uh, I remember taking a play, playwriting course, um, like a hundred level, like elective kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And that was really fun. Um, and it, it like mandated you go to a couple performances at the college at the university. So that was fun. And it was always one of those things where it's like, Oh man, I should do this more often. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think now we elect in terms of like that sort of, um, that sort of tier of like the, the arts we, we uh, elect to go to the orchestra more than, mm. um, plays, but um, we saw like My Fair Lady last year, I think it was last year and it was just like amazing. So, um, but yeah, it's not, it's not something that I know anything about maybe like tangentially, like, or a bit more than like ballet, but that's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't have much, uh, myself. I think we, we went on a field trip in high school in Chicago to see La Traviata, <laughs> uh, um, last was it last last year um burns aunt uh, was a lead in a production of sondheim's follies i actually really enjoyed that um mm -hmm. apparently it's rarely produced but um yeah I, I i thought that was very good um and i've seen cats i saw cats that was crazy i highly oh, wow. recommend anyone see cats Ta uh kenji was talking uh, about like Hamilton later and like the film performance uh, the film performance of Cats led me into seeing a live performance oh um, interesting yeah yeah uh, it is interesting but but that's something else I wanted to touch on too the the this idea of film performance and film performance films and what's happening here and, and uh, the sort of collision between theater and cinema um, that is happening in this film uh, because you know they're often probably wrongly conflated in certain ways um, and it's something that you know as soon as you're filming a performance and like Davy goes in tight on a set and you might not even realize you're looking at like a set on a stage as a part of a, as opposed to a sound stage right like like and all of a sudden the theater becomes cinema uh, mm -hmm. because of how it's being shot and framed and edited. Um, I, I don't know how uh, insightful <laughs> anything I have to say about that is, but it, it's something I noticed, you know, especially in a documentary and especially not being particularly interested in the content of these plays in any to any significant degree, you know, and as I sort of focus less on the story and more on okay how is this actor choosing to pronounce this word you know how is the staging done you know thinking back to ballet this sort of st um, structure of like rehearsal to performance and you know seeing getting the rewards of things being performed of things we saw rehearsed you know seeing like them testing out this like rotating stage apparatus mm -hmm. uh and in in the background and then seeing that 
in uh, practice during a performance, you know, is like kind of has this uh, inherent satisfaction to it. Um, but yeah, just just all the ways through structure and editing and Davies' work particularly that uh, theater is translated into cinema, I think is just kind of interesting to consider throughout watching this film. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't have anything to say, but, but it's definitely something that you're constantly thinking about while watching this film. I mean, it's, it's again, like the long takes just allow you to, to do a lot of that exercise, like be an active viewer. Um, especially like, I don't know. It's curious, like some of the reviewers who are really into to theater, Yeah, I would be interested to to like tap into their experience, like being John Malkovich style. Um, mm. Like while they're watching the performances, like uh, what they're thinking, if they're just like, oh my gosh, I love this and paying attention to the little nuances because as somebody who's not as interested or tapped in, I'm just thinking more about the apparatus mm. um, and the formal um, stuff that, that's going on, yeah, which is nice. And totally. And the, the way, you know, the the um, I, I hesitate to say advantages of cinema but like just the different formal aspects uh that change the character of what you're watching like the way Davy can zoom in on somebody's face and see like a tear roll down the face is something you're not going to pick up in the balcony right, right? like and yeah, it's going to change the character of what you're engaging with yeah he's editorializing um and making it his own yeah yeah i think i think there was a lot of interesting work with faces and zooms uh and i think in in near death i i compared him to sven nykvist um mm-hmm. you know I, I i had some of those resonances and some of the shots in this film as it's well. interesting one of the somebody called it might have been not coming called like the morival like a uh, bergman-esque oh really okay well yeah there you go yeah all right anything else I love the mic work on the seamstresses. I love hearing all their scissors, all the snip, snip. Yeah, I really like that. And we'll get another scene like that in public housing too. Uh, Cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, we, we talked about it in ballet uh, but obviously labor, uh, mm-hmm. so present here and so central to Weissman's interests, but like, you know, seamstresses, wig masters, stage hands, electricians, box office, co-check girls, you know, so much more than, than actors and directors and administrators, right? Yeah, like, for sure. like, like janitors characteristically, people cleaning up, um, uh, all are elements of what make this institution work. Uh, so, you know, nothing revelatory, but something that bears stating for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Well, you can get a Fred Wiseman was right. T-shirt still. If you email <laughs> oh, sure. yeah, Wiseman podcast at Gmail, you can also ask us questions. Um, feel free to do that. Um, other than that, uh, uh, I, I will just say on, on that last note, if all of that sort of behind the scenes stuff was particularly compelling to you, um, there's a documentary by John Else called Sing Faster, The Stagehands Ring Cycle. 
um, about a um, performance of uh, you know the the Wagner opera by the San Francisco Opera that is very much you know people setting up the stage people huh. tearing down the stage and you know all of this sort of ancillary work like it's only that for the most part you know there's, there's a little bit of performance but um yeah you could find that i think on vimeo yeah or vhs apparently or, or, yeah well you know i've buck 99 at amoeba if you're lucky <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh all right well enjoy our conversation with kenji and otherwise we will be back for public housing oh yeah excited for sure. Welcome back to Wiseman Podcast. We're here with our guest, Kenji Fujishima. How are you doing, Kenji? Doing all right, guys. Uh, thanks for inviting me to this. Yeah, uh, so uh, I should introduce you. You're a, a film and, and theater critic based in uh, New York City. Um, your uh, film criticism can be found in Slant and Paste and Village Voice and IndieWire. Um, and I wanted to say this is one of those titles, uh, La Comedy Friend says, uh, that we thought might be a little trickier to book because it's one of Wiseman's least seen films. Um, and many, uh, like, you know, Wiseman heads don't really highlight this as one of their favorites you know same goes with most of his french films i think um but thankfully i know that not only are you a big fan of theater but also a big Wiseman fan and uh, a lover of this film so we're happy to have you yeah i'm happy to talk about as much as i can <laughs> with this film so maybe we should start by just uh, what is your relationship to theater and how did it become uh, like a hobby of yours well, I mean, actually, the theater thing kind of uh, only became part of my life recently. And honestly, it was kind of born out of uh, being in, uh, from like 2015 to 2017, I was basically a freelance film critic. And uh, uh, as, as can happen when you're a full-time freelancer, there might be a certain point when you realize, yeah, I, I don't know if I can sustain this lifestyle anymore. So uh, at a certain point, I decided just to see what was out in the job market. Do you mean, and do you mean financially or like just interest-wise and, and sort of... <laughs> mostly financially. Okay. financially. Like, I mean, like, I mean, my, my, my interest in film has persisted. And I mean, mm-hmm. I, if, if nothing else, uh, COVID kind of in, like brought that back uh, because, you know, theater... Okay, so before I go ahead... Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, so in 2017, I like was looking up job listings and I found one for a theater website called Theater Mania ba- based in New York City. Uh, it, 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 it covers in, in, it mostly covers New York City theater, but it also technically covers theater all over the country. Uh, but, um, you know, I was looking around and I saw that they were looking for a copy editor and a news writer. So I applied on a lark. I mean, it was just like, I, I'm, I was interested in theater. It wasn't like it was like totally like a mm-hmm. foreign thing. I mean, like, you know, I, I'd like to think of myself as pretty well-rounded culturally. So, you know, amidst all the films I was watching, you know, I would check out theater like off-Broadway and Broadway here in New York City every once in a while. Um, and, you know, I, so, so I, I had an interest going in. Uh, perhaps needless to say, I, I did get hired for that job. And uh, at a certain point, I said, well, I mean, I guess... I guess you could say I kind of pivoted to theater at that point. 
and kind of dove right into that that uh, uh, that area. Um, so that's kind of how it, I mean, like I, I kind of thrust myself into that position and decided to embrace it wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, like I said, uh, you know, COVID kind of put a kibosh on that a little bit for like 18 months because that's how long it took before theaters began to reopen here in New York City. But uh, and during that time, I kind of got back into watching movies and kind of got back into film criticism a little bit. Uh, but so now I, you can say I kind of try to balance both while making money uh, support myself uh, at a day job. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Um, interesting. So, so what was your introduction to Wiseman? Ah, well, uh, my introduction basically was from Pauline Kale. Like, uh, she was one of the first critics I read as a teenager, right, trying to get into, like, reading film criticism. And, Her high school know. review? Yes, basically, <laughs> it was a high school review. That said, uh, I, didn't, I, I didn't get around to actually watching high school until I believe I saw it in a college film class. Uh, that was probably my first exposure to Wiseman's actual films rather than just a critic writing about it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, obviously, like, that high school review certainly, uh, like, piqued my interest, you know, as someone that, I mean, like, I hadn't, I don't believe I had heard of Wiseman before, but, you know, now that, after she planted that name in my head, you know, I, I do remember, I never, I didn't get around to actually watching it, but, like, I, I remember in 1999 seeing that PBS was airing Belfast, Maine. So I recorded it, I just never watched it because, you know, that movie was four <laughs> hours long, but, uh, uh, so, uh, but my, my interest in Wiseman, like, like my exposure to his films came kind of slowly since then. Like, I, I mean, I did see To the Cop Follies in a theater. I think they, it was like a decent restoration or something. Uh, but, uh, I also think, uh, COVID kind of helped spur along what had been kind of a loose attempt to watch as much Frederick Wiseman as possible. Oh, cool. Because, well, I mean, that and New York City used to have, uh, their libraries used to have access to Canopy. Right. So that was a very, that that was probably, actually, that was probably the the, uh, the boon for that project mm-hmm. was to see as much as I could. Before, well, I mean, they eventually, I guess, found that it was unsustainable for them to hold on to Canopy. Uh, so it, I just lost quick insider tip is that yeah. it's still available through Queens public library. <laughs> if you oh, have a Queens really? library card. Yes. No, I do not. But, uh, maybe, I mean, like, I, I suppose I could get, I don't know. Like, I used to live, I, li- I used to live in Queens. Uh, I, I live in Manhattan now, but, uh, I don't, I actually really love Queens and don't discount the possibility of moving back there at any time at, at some point. So that could still happen. I, yeah. I, I, I did not know that. Um, but, you know, am I allowed to say through various other sources, I was able to, of course. Uh, to catch up on the rest, including La Comédie Française, the movie we're going to talk about today. Uh, that was definitely through the grace of a friend of mine with a Caragarga uh, mm-hmm. membership or whatever. <laughs> sure. So, um, yeah. That's, I'm sure that's my I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um interesting okay so yeah so what what was what was your first impression of of uh this film well uh 
so yeah so I, as as you gathered you know i i i, I dabble uh I, I i immerse myself in film and theater see more theater these days but you know i i, I do still cover film to some degree uh, so uh naturally because Wiseman is so exhaustive about like detailing like the processes of like you know institutions i mean the level of detail he goes into regarding not just how uh uh productions get like i mean like this movie goes into like really not i mean this is what interested me about the film initially it was like all the nuts and bolts not not just about behind the scenes you know backstage i mean like back broadly speaking it's a lot of backstage stuff but mm -hmm. uh it's not just about like like stage hands and uh seamstresses and all those uh technical people uh you know working on the nuts and bolts of the production but you you get you get scenes of like administrators trying to plan out the season uh and uh talking about even things like health insurance i mean like comedy la comedia francaise is like uh, i believe like now it's kind of a state uh, a state owned company right yeah so, in 1995 yeah 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 so like uh you know there's that that i mean that gets touched on a little bit you know obviously wiseman doesn't give you like information like right. directly you you kind of glean that from some of the discussions he shows but talking about that talking about like even even the scene where uh uh the administrator is talking about like stage chance threatening to strike mm -hmm. you know uh, which apparently is a <laughs> People in Fran France do like to strike a lot. <laughs> it's 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 actually quite cool. <laughs> um, but so so things like that, like th those, all like like I guess my uh, my nerdy side was uh, was fascinated to see all this in such great detail. Um, so I mean, I, I think that was my initial uh, 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 um, takeaway from like why I really liked the film initially uh actually if nothing if anything this uh your invite for me to revisit this film for this discussion led like you know i actually rewatched the film for this discussion and uh if nothing else i'm if anything i i, I love it even more now oh nice especially especially uh because of what it touches on um uh about broader things like you know like i said this this company from what i gather it, it does a lot of productions of classics and um you know i i'm i'm someone that kind of came late to the theater thing so if anything i'm more interested in catching up with the classics mm -hmm. here in new york city so like whenever they do a revival of an old play or whatever i some, i mean even even if even if the production isn't the best if it's not a play that i had like read or seen mm -hmm. i'll still probably find it of like some interest if nothing else as a way to fill in my knowledge so um so i and, and i do think there's value in keeping these texts alive for new generations and that seems to be one of the um raison d'etre of la comedie <laughs> francaise uh as as a as a company uh so so i mean i think there's that kind of thread running through the film about the um which which is something I, I I guess resonates with me personally. Um, hmm. so. 
Yeah, it's interesting. So you were talking about how much detail is in this. And um, I mean, just like recounting the the stuff that happens, it really is sort of like soup to nuts. Like um, you get to see people doing like stage uh, production. Um, You get to see like seamstresses, like you said, um, but also like planning a a schedule or a program, which... um, and, And I mean, you get to see the creative process too. So there's a lot of like... Uh, debating about uh, how to pronounce a certain uh, phrase. Um, that there's a scene like that that goes on for minutes, but um, yeah, it's well, interesting. I, I love that kind of. I'm sorry, I didn't do that. I no, just, no, I love ahead. that kind of thing, especially as someone that uh, also is. I'm also a big classical music fan, so oh, like okay. matters of interpretation are kind of like hit my kind of sweet spot. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, so, like the whole discussion about how a certain phrase, yeah, how a certain phrase was maybe like intended back in the top back in like the 17th century or whatever right as opposed to now like that that kind of that whole discussion for instance in the movie movies like i found that i found that fascinating yeah i mean it 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 it's conveying so much information um and it, like you can read into why wiseman is so taken with that because it's um you know it's showing how much they care on one hand um and it's showing the tradition like this long tradition and and how many times these plays have been interpreted um but also uh it talks about ambiguity and like space for uh each production to do something new whether they're trying to do something new or it's their own interpretation like um it's just really rich but but to get to see that uh and just interpersonally in that scene to see how these actors uh, respect each other or how like loud this guy is in this room and, and just like what a character he is. Uh, It's a really rich scene. Yeah. And I mean, if I remember correctly, yeah, that scene features one of the uh, older members of that company basically holding court and, you know, joshing with, I guess, the director uh, over and another, Mm -hmm. a fellow actor. I mean, that's another thing that I found of interest, like, uh, uh, you know, just like, the, like this particular ecosystem, which I, I don't even know, like in the New York City theater scene, like yet yeah, there are companies that are, I suppose, kind of like, I mean, that has kind of like a close knit group of actors that are often in like the same productions within that company, but not, I don't believe to quite the same degree as this. Right. This feels like, life. La, yeah, right. yeah, 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 La Comedie yeah. Francaise, yeah. at least as depicted in this, as shown in this film, feels like, it feels like kind of foreign as far as compared <laughs> to the New York City scene, to be honest, because the New York City scene from, from my, from how, what I've gathered uh, in my few years of covering it is a lot, you see a lot of the same actors, but you know, it's kind of like they're all freelancers, mm-hmm. you know? So, so you see them a lot of different productions, a lot mm-hmm. of the same, like different productions throughout town, but they're not necessarily bound to one company. I mean, there are some companies like this, but uh, but most of the time, it seems like a lot of them, like, you know, they go where the next gig is, whether it's for this company or this other company. They'll go where, they'll go where they're, uh, you know. Um, so, I mean, this kind of this kind of environment that Wiseman chose in La Comédie Française, where there are people, yeah, people for life, to the point where there's, they, they even have a vote as mm-hmm. to who they want to be promoted to societaire position which is apparently like um mm-hmm. if you've been there for like 
20 years or something, you get a pension, something like that. Right. right. Uh, there are certain benefits for that. I don't really think there's a company in New York City that, I mean, maybe <laughs> someone will hear the discussion and know the theater scene <laughs> in New York City well and will fact check me on this. But I don't feel like there is one quite like that where they, you know, they will, they will vote, they will have an actual vote about this. Mm -hmm. I think I think something you see a lot in at least the contemporaneous writing about this, uh, especially from folks who know about or are passionate about theater, is like a, a pretty palpable envy about what's depicted in this film uh, relative to the U.S. scene. You know, in terms of. Uh, both like regard for, you know, the classics like we've been talking about, um, but also, like you said, like kind of the, the job security of it, the state funding for it, you know, like, yeah. like there's just like everyone's like, God, like, why, why can't this be here? Well, Wiseman, um, I mean, that that's like what Wiseman talks about in a lot of the interviews, too, is like the 1% of the French budget, national budget goes to this. Crazy. And, yeah. And, and that is, you know, it's not uh, a coincidence that um, this film, like, clearly is viewed by him as something that he really appreciates and respects. And, uh, I mean, this is, it's a French film, but it's a French film by an American. Like, it's very clear that it's a French film made by an American. And and knowing, too, like, Weissman's history going to Congress, talking about funding for PBS, you know, right. like, try, you know, going to all these agencies, trying to rustle up grants and stuff to complete his films, you know, like, that's just not necessary in, in the French context because of, you know, what they have set up there, which, uh, yeah, I mean, more, more power to him. Definitely feel the envy on the film side. Um, yeah, but just just go, going back before we get too far away to I, I believe it was a Don Juan they're talking mm -hmm. about, um, you know, where they're pouring over the meaning of this phrase, you know, some something we'll talk a lot or some I'm sure because I'm starting to talk about it is <laughs> is uh, like reflexivity in this film. You know, as as is always the case when Weissman is engaging with uh, artistic processes, um, but just the the consideration of meaning uh, in the mm -hmm. text, you know, like and how, you know, just one small line in in this instance, but to apply it to Weissman's practice, you know, maybe a shot, maybe a sequence you know, how you come at it from these different angle, angles trying to suss, you know, the the truth, the meaning uh, of it to be conveyed, and how to do that, you know, whether it's like a pronunciation, you know, whether you're stressing certain syllables or inflections, you know, the, the formal elements of conveying that meaning that you have, you know, interpreted from you know, the text or the pro-filmic material. Um, this this is just like a great instance of, of Weissman's, you know, consideration of his mm -hmm. own practice through through uh, what he's filming. Yeah, yeah, I failed to mention that that layer uh, in that scene as well. But, um, so thanks for pointing that out. But, uh, and, and it's, in a scene like this that you're talking about, it doesn't really matter whether what like it's interesting to think about like is Wiseman interested in this as a moment of self-reflexivity or is he interested in it because this is the type of art that he is just interested in and then right. his art yeah. reflects it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's it, it, it. That is all interesting, especially because like you know, his films are not necessarily ones to make their meanings explicit. Right. Uh, especially as he gets older. I mean, like 
one could argue that maybe some of the earlier films are a little more, you know, like there's, I think there's, you know, I don't know if this is a consensus, but like, you know, he was a little bit more of an activist in his early films. Right, he right. Became, he's gradually, well, I don't know about gradually, but over the years, he's become less so, especially as his reach has extended beyond like institutions of like, like social, like social institutions, like, right. like uh, you know. In Jackson like, Heights like, or something. Yeah, yeah, you know, he, he, you know, his reaches and has expanded. So, um, so yeah, so he doesn't, he doesn't make his meanings explicit. Uh, uh, one could read a lot, and I mean, certainly, like, I mean, seeing like some reviews of this film that that, that were either written around the time or have since come out, you know, people latch on to certain things like, uh, you know, potential class differences mm. like you know like you know, comedy la comedia francaise does feel a little bit like a hierarchy to some degree uh especially sure. the, the the troop uh but you know this is not something necessary that wiseman directly comments on he just at least gives you the uh, the the impression of presenting the environment and allowing you to draw your own conclusions i mean obviously there is a guiding intelligence like behind like how he assembles all of it and how he cuts it together but you know uh so but is there but he doesn't he allows he he allows you to come to it rather than him coming to Mm -hmm. you so which you know it's a thing i appreciate not only with wisen but with a lot of other filmmakers a lot of artists uh in in various disciplines uh um that you know try don't, don't try to spoon feed you everything sure make you make you dig a little (laughs) yeah and this is one of the ways that this film and ballet and his latest menu plus um all are uh tied this like hierarchy um that that's just inherent in in making a thing like this run whether that's because it needs to be there or because tradition has uh put it there and that's how it's worked ever since and it's it's inherent and it exists but it's I, th- I thought it was interesting noting in this film compared to the other two french ones you mentioned sean that like um it's much less like rigid in its top-down formation like they're not so much that uh there's resistance but like that that don juan scene's a great yeah, example you true. have an actor kind of pushing back against what the right. director is saying and asserting his own interpretation of the material, you know, and that, that happens a fair amount in the rehearsal scenes, you know? Um, so like, like compared to ballet, right. You know, compared to, uh, the, the chefs at, uh, many placiers, you know, like you, they're, they're basically silent. They're right. like, they're not quite the level of automatons, like we said, but they do what they're told, you know? Um, and this one, you know, still the same case. They're not going to like kick up a storm unless it's about, uh, getting their, uh, bonuses or, uh, going on strike or whatever, but, uh, which happens off, off getting screen. teeth care. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but, um, you know, they, they do seem to, I think there's something about this institution that encourages that kind of engagement that, that to not merely be like a passive receptacle and, and to, especially, you know, like we said, these are lifelong, uh, engagements with the company, you know, you're working with the same people years in years on end and, um, developing a rapport and, uh, there may be less of a, I, I feel like 
more of an equality would develop among all the constituent parts than than in certain other institutional situations. Yeah, it's much more like back and forth and collaborative here. Yeah, for sure. Well, I I, I was gonna say like uh, you know speaking of self reflexivity, I mean like film critics and law cinephiles, you know, they still latch on to the auteur theory, right? And but you know be being in the I mean in the theater world like the playwright still reigns generally reigns supreme not 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 exactly the way like in 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 cinephile circles people talk about the director like Mm -hmm. the director sometimes you know try imposing his vision on like even the most like maybe shop worn of like genre materials you know um uh the playwrights still i mean like yeah there are you know there may be some like directors that have a personal stamp and certainly in new york city i've dealt i've seen the work of certain directors like that have like you know uh i don't know if this is a name that will ring any bells to you but there is for instance this uh dutch director ivo van hova who who has a strong but does have a strong personality when he uh when he uh bring like directs plays whether new or old you know sometimes he can be very stripped down minimalist or he can be like technological maximalist Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are some, there are some like personalities like that, but still, still very much a playwright's medium. So it's very interesting to kind of like consider like that when I write about theater, like, uh, like there it's, it feels a lot more collaborative and perhaps to some degree, like dismantles like the you know i guess the mystique of the auteur that sometimes that kind of still persists in film circles uh yeah that you know but there is there are you know and you know there are like people behind the scenes of films as well that mm-hmm. uh perhaps some of them have an input in what gets presented in the final cut of a film that uh maybe people some some writers are maybe a little too quick to ascribe to the director i mean the director has final say but you know uh, assuming he's not like interfered with by a studio right yeah yeah that's interesting because uh it's a a good distinction to think about as someone who doesn't uh watch much theater but um uh when the director is interviewed talking about uh mori for what like seven minutes at length and and we see this elsewhere too there's a regard for 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 the playwright there uh rather than in like a film adaptation which is just like this is my version like it kind of starts again with me um here it is more of just like carrying carrying this this torch so to speak um in play here um and obviously this scene is is a huge moment of like self-reflexivity um and i guess we can talk about it but um where he's he's talking about uh he calls it complex and and playing on ambiguous meanings like he says that right away and so immediately you know like once the scene starts you know you gotta like okay he's doing some double speak here you gotta like sit up and 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 think about what what he's going on about and uh he says uh that you don't know viewers don't know or even you know the uh the production doesn't know uh, what the characters are motivi- motivated by this or that, uh, feelings or social influences, and that's what makes the play so rich and dense and ambiguous. And he says the play is open to a wide range of interpretations. Um, and also talks about 
the uh, relationship to reality and fairy tale or for his purposes, fiction and nonfiction, um, something Wiseman is very interested in. But uh, this is uh, another one of the moments that me and Arlen often talked about where Wiseman is like teaching you how to watch uh, his own movie um, and aligning his work with fiction and, and asking us to read it similarly. Um, but uh, it, it was interesting in the... Um, in the French book on, on uh, Frederick Wiseman, uh, which is written by Maurice Darmon, uh, which we, we didn't have access to until this uh, episode, um, which proved useful. Um, he kind of like, he's, he's very useful on this section from the French perspective that, that we wouldn't have. <clears throat> but uh, he's able to point out the, these like further parallels between Wiseman and Merivau. And it speaks to what you were talking about, Kenji, uh, recently. Um, but both of both of them, he says, have been like sort of victims of like audiences boxing them into artists of like one idea, um, and both of them have like you know branched out uh, from that. And so he points out that you know many viewers saw like the store and Central Park and Aspen yeah. and Zoo and and mm-hmm. saw them as like betrayals of what they thought Wiseman did. This sort of like earlier, you know, activist like you know uh, muckraker thing. And, uh, and then all of a sudden he's doing these ambiguous portraits of like middle and upper class structures um, and asking you to think about them or you're just kind of like, well, this is like benign. Um, and But he, he says that Merva, there's a, a parallel there and that he was often reduced to um, cynical games of power, cruel and haughty intrigues. Oh, that's interesting. See, this is where my, the limits of my theater knowledge yeah, like yeah. the comment because like, I mean, yeah, admittedly, uh, I, 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 my, my knowledge of French theater is maybe a little less. <laughs> sure. Uh, I mean, these, these plays, I mean, like I know of some of these plays, like Moliere, obviously, mm-hmm. Roussin, but uh, Marivaux and Fado, like at best, maybe I've heard their names. Right, uh, right. They don't, you know, they, that, that is, that is another thing that was, I mean, like, I mean, there is something in New York City. I mean, yeah, they, they do plays by, uh, international playwrights, obviously usually in English translations, but uh, mm-hmm. it's still very kind of U.S. centric mm-hmm. in ways that sometimes frustrates me a little bit. Like as someone that just wants to, yeah, wants to explore other, you know, <laughs> other other theaters, other theater, uh, uh, you know, explore theater history, uh, and uh, and 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 you know, reading a play is one thing, but seeing it is sure. another. So, yeah. like, I mean, so the lim- opportunities for that, especially for French for productions of, like old French plays, might be rather limited here in New York City. Yeah, um, for sure. But uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, but uh, so I mean, so all that is to say, like, I I should read this book about Wiseman. <laughs> uh, uh, very interesting. Like, yeah. So my my Marivaux knowledge is not very strong. It, it's interesting though, as a, as Americans watching this, because. Like I have like 11 pages of notes, which is a lot for like, you know, usually we, I hit like, you know, eight to, to nine or whatever, but like, and, and I still don't feel like I have like, I, I, I still feel humbled in front of this movie the same way that we kind of uh, talked about with ballet. I'm just like, this, like, these are traditions that we just don't know very much about. And uh, there are meanings like that that uh, Darmon is is pointing out here. There are parallels that Wiseman is uh, seems to be drawing on that um, just goes deeper than than our recognition, which is great. I mean, it, it's it's nice to 
to see a, a movie like this that's that's so dense and and be like well there's a lot of a lot about this i still don't know yeah well yeah i mean like and and i mean that, i guess it's a tribute to wiseman's own like seemingly boundless curiosity that he's, he's right. going to explore all these i mean for i mean apparently he's a big fan of this company and perhaps why he enlisted one of its societaire actors catherine sami mm-hmm. uh, right to 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 uh to do that the the last, the last letter. letter yeah which which i guess is basically a staged performance mm-hmm. a filmed performance uh and that was another thing that you know interesting to revisit this film and see how he approaches filming the uh the the state live stage performances yeah, you see in the film for sure. like during that one uh kind of uh scene of that Mary Vo- like the one Mary Vo play like scene from that Mary Vo play in which double you, you inconsistency yeah double yeah which which in which which one like the uh i guess the maid character is hiding under the bed il aurait bien pu arriver que oh mais c'est que ça ne irait pas hein? moi moi avec Amélie non mais non mais tu ne m'as pas regardé non mais dis donc dis donc là I mean, a lot of that, like a lot of that scene, is like uh, an unbroken. T- he cuts at one point, maybe two, but a uh-huh. lot of that like plays out like just in one shot. Right. Uh, and I mean that that is also something I think about a lot, like switching between film and theater. Like you know, I've seen my share of filmed stage performances, uh, and you know, actually this kind of came out. This kind of came up. Back in 2020, when uh, the uh, and this is to- this is a total like it's tangentially related, but you know I'll, I figure very the Hamilton film uh-huh. performance that was on Dis- that that hit Disney Plus. I mean, I had not seen Hamilton up to that point, uh, but uh, so I was you know very intrigued to finally see it and not have to pay like two hundred dollars right. or more to see it on Broadway, uh, and so I saw it and. The, the the interesting thing about my reaction to that, like beyond whatever I thought of Hamilton, is I still I still want to see it live. Because seeing it filmed, you know, the thing is, you know, there's a lot of choreography in that show and it however sensitively they filmed it, it's still, you know, you still have to deal with all the cuts. Right. Yeah. You're being guided. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know, that's necessary i guess to make it play cinematically but you know it's a little frustrating for some especially for someone like me who sees a lot of theater and thus my eyes have the freedom to go right wherever you know stage whatever you know wherever uh you know so like so i still want to see that like oh yeah so i mean like see revisiting this film and seeing the way wiseman approaches the various live scenes uh i mean not all like he does like in some other scenes. He does treat it like cinematically. You know, he'll 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 do a close up on one actor, yeah, and then cut to another part of the stage. So I mean, like, so there are more con- conventional, conventionally shot and edited scenes. Right. But uh, uh, whether Wiseman intended to or not, I mean, it certainly got me thinking about just like, well, I don't know if it. I'd say it's the ethics of it. That may be overstating it, but you know, like, just uh-huh. like. Like there's a certain like 
purity about like live stage mm. performance that's a little bit feels a little bit violated by like sure cinematic well i i feel that way about uh like sports as well like i was just at a basketball game last night a professional basketball game and i was i was like uh which i watch on tv like all the time right. and uh and i was like during during um while the players were on the court, I was able to like look at uh, a star player on the bench and like was was doing something that you just don't get to see on TV. Um, yeah. And and it's the same thing. Where it's just like there there's there's different um, there's different pleasures to get from from seeing it in person. But um, that scene, um, there's a lot to there's a lot to talk about uh, within what you th- within this scene and also the editing that you're talking about. Um, uh, one of which is this editing that he does elsewhere um, is so cool to me because he talks about, uh, you know, only having one camera, only shooting it on one camera, but um, he's cutting seamlessly between shots in the same performance or within the same production, but it's different performances. And so there's like, there's shots from like left to right side of the stage, uh, different perspectives, uh, but their match, their, their, their matches on action. And uh, there's another one that he does where he cuts to like the technician in the booth above. And Mm. that's also a match. And uh, it's just so cool to like, just think about like him, like shooting it twice and then matching it um, to the point where like, you don't think about it as the viewer, like, uh, you know, if you're just watching this, um, you're he's he's trying to to allow you to enjoy it as uh, as a fictional film, I guess. Um, yeah. But uh, one of the, watching this Mervo uh, scene play out, I was I was also like the way that he uh, stays on this, uh, like you were saying for so long. It allows you to, I mean, one, it kind of enjoy the the comedy that's that's the the play and thinking about you know the the different like uh artifice involved in this in this play and it's it's very funny um but it also allows you to like dwell on tradition like he likes to talk about placing uh the viewer within a scene and think their way out of it or whatever and uh this allows you to do that and one of the things i was thinking about is just like the the comparison like Oh, I've seen a lot of these tropes in sitcoms, in American sitcoms, and of course, those are also shot the same way, or at least traditionally, uh, traditional uh, sitcoms were, you know, shot from from the, the one wall. Um, but like, oh, I've seen this played out like so many times in different iterations, and so you're just like, it allows you to think, oh yeah, and so the sitcom is part of this longer tradition, um, which has a huge root in like you know, 17th century French, uh, comedy, or that's, you know, that's a part of it at least. Yeah. That's interesting. You bring that up. I mean, I actually had not thought about how he managed to convey the, the feeling of seeing one performance. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense that you would, you know, you have to shoot multiple performances to get all the coverage you need in order to, that does make sense. And the fact that he only uses one camera, he does it a lot in a lot of movies yeah. in, in yeah, different ways. Yeah. Elephant show and zoo uh, technique. Yeah. Um, yeah, but like those, I mean, it it's interesting to think about these scenes in relation to the performance scenes in ballet too, which did employ a second cameraman, yet seems so much more hampered. 
mm-hmm. um, in in their sort of freedom of movement right. and framing. You know, it, it does seem like they kind of learned from the experience of ballet. And, you know, early on in this film or earlier on, it's interesting, you know, sometimes it's very clear based on the set and, you know, what actors are wearing and stuff, whether or not this is a rehearsal or a performance. Sometimes you don't really know until you're shown like a cut of an empty house, you know, towards Mm -hmm. the end of the scene. And you're like, okay, this is clearly a rehearsal. Then when you see, you know, people in fancy dress filing in, taking their seats, you're like, okay, I'm being cued that this is the real deal. This is a performance now. But like, even it does seem like in the performance, Davey's a bit more uh, restricted in movement, but the ways in which he's able to sort of creatively change the frame through pans and zooms, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, throughout emphasizing different things, kind of like what you were saying, Kenji, about when you're seeing live theater and sort of selecting where you want to focus at any one given time, you know, the way he's able to do that from a stationary position, I think shows a lot of growth from what was happening in ballet. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you bring up ballet. I mean, I do remember thinking, I, I haven't seen ballet since maybe like, in like, I, I I probably saw it back in like 2020 or 2019. Like, and I remember thinking, I mean, I guess this is not related to this particular film, but I do remember thinking like, ballet. I remember liking it, but the fact that they weren't. All right, you might have to cur- like remind me of some of these details. That that's like let's like a American ballet theater or something like yeah, that. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Yep. It seemed like they were building up to like a performance mm-hmm. and then we weren't allowed to see the performance. Right. He wasn't allowed to f- to go to uh, the, the place. Like he he didn't get per- permission at the match. Yeah. That, that seems, um, I mean, that's unfortunate. And to some degree <laughs> kind of, uh, kind of uh, like uh, as much as I admire that film, like, uh, you know, the fact that he allowed, it was allowed so much access into La Comedie Francaise makes it, much more satisfying to me being able to see not only the rehearsals but then like the final product right well also something they took not just in the framing of these scenes but the structure of the film in the whole and how these scenes are incorporated is to not just kind of stick all the performances at the end you know right yeah Yeah. uh, kind of keep them interspersed throughout yeah i think that is like uh that's a symptom of one of the 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 ways that i think this film is just better in general than ballet is like the editing structure feels so much like more flowy to me the way that he's cutting between different parts of the hierarchy like the backstage front stage type of stuff um to like technicians to the cafeteria to the the street scenes um which are all lovely um it just it just has a flow to it and the 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 performances and the rehearsals um that it doesn't have that sort of bifurcated or trifurcated like feeling of that ballet had um that, that I really enjoy. I'll, I'll just say, though, even I, I agree with you, but even still in the rehearsals, what I was missing from ballet a lot is like, I wish Davey could have just like got on stage, you know, with the yeah, performers in, in the way that he was sort of in the middle in the of the action in the rehearsals. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. it was like very mobile and lively, you know, like I think he, he does, he tries to compensate for that in the ways I was just describing with, with different camera techniques. But like, you know, there's no reason because there's not an audience in the house that he couldn't have been up there and, you know, they're professional actors. So they should have, been, you know, would have been able to put him out of their mind. Yeah. 
One of the things that you briefly mentioned up mentioned uh, Arlen was the idea of the audience and like our awareness or or our unawareness of the audience. And um, it's funny to me um, because you know we talked about this with his most recent film, Menu Plus Year, of like how how the audience or their like the clients are are such a secondary concern, if not just like completely tertiary. Um, like he's not really interested in their reaction, uh, besides like fleeting moments, um, or like their interests really, um, unless it's a way to, uh, coerce dialogue out of the actual institutional actors. Um, and here, um, it's very similar, you know, like there's a, there's a great shot of the audience at the end, but like, uh, like you said, like he's not foregrounding the audience and what they want. Like the, the most prominent scene is probably the box office scene, which is great. And it kind of like does a lot in this really dense a uh, short scene of like showing how important this is to Parisians. Um, and like, there's just like great, like emotion in there, but like that does so much that he doesn't have to really like foreground the audience elsewhere. But I also just think that that is his approach as an artist and his interest is not in the audience. Yeah, well, I mean, they're, the the those performers are already playing to the audience. I mean, he's just another audience member, so you know. I mean, mm -hmm. that, um, yeah, that box office. So uh, yeah, I mean, a it was a interesting reminder of a time when uh, people couldn't necessarily buy things online. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah true. Go to a box office to buy like season tickets to things, and you know, a long line for that. No one, yeah. no, one no one really does that anymore. It's all. Virtual long lines to for 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 theater seasons or or hot pick for or for particular productions, uh -huh. um, and, and you know the other and you know it's interesting to see that one, I guess government official who tries to get like a <laughs> yeah. special deal, um, the city hall worker, yeah, yeah. Also though, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but there is a scene where they're I think it's like they're talking about like dealing with the audience, right? Like 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 I, I think it's a between like customer service like they were like publicists like i think yeah. where they're talking about you know like sort of more modern productions yeah they put on yeah, yeah people complain like like how to deal with people complaining about and i right. I, I noted that one one person in that in that scene talks about how like he's kind of honest to patrons about like his own thoughts about uh um like when when the when the company does go in the contemporary direction with a certain and like yeah. that's an interesting approach i mean like that i feel like i don't know if uh a lot of like if that would be allowed uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> in like with uh people like in american theater companies talk like talking to audience like yeah you know I, I didn't love this season but you know that's, that's uh -huh. what they're doing yeah. that, that's what they're doing right. so, something uh, about like Caligula on a moped or something <laughs> that people had a strong reaction to but like <laughs> um, you know I think I think 
well, well, first, just uh, you know, that box office scene is I, I would put that as my favorite scene in the film. Both the city hall lady and the woman who's just like slowly looking at the seating chart, deciding uh-huh. you know what what the best option for her is, and just for kind sure. of watching the gears turn. And like you said, it, both of those instances convey the importance of the institution to the general public. But but further than that, I think it's it's pleasing to me in a Weissman sense because it it shows how the public is engaged with the institution, you know, and, and that's something we don't really get the, through the rest of the film, which is, you know, by and large, pretty insular and about the inner workings of the institution. Um, but then he says in interviews, he's, he's very interested in, in the place that this institution holds in the public as well. For sure. Um, but then this, this, uh, publicist scene we're talking about in this sort of dialectic between like uh you know traditional theater and modern theater like um i think i forget who said it but but someone we read was noting that the performances we see in this film which are definitely all pretty traditionally staged and acted um could was a reaction to some of the negative uh, reactions of those more modern interpretations that maybe happened before Weissman got there, that they were kind of backtracking and into safety uh, to give, give people what's expected and what they want, which, which I thought was pretty interesting, but just this, this idea of like, we're talking about passing down tradition, but like sort of this expectation of calcification you know that mm-hmm. that people because of the grand history of the company like are sort of wanting to be like transported to the time of Moliere you know to the 16 or 1700s yeah no I mean like certainly issues like that like I mean theater makers in New York City for certain for certain deal with this all the time like you know the obvious example is Shakespeare. How do you like refresh Shakespeare? He been, he's been done for centuries, but uh, you know they lost a lot of Shakespeare productions. And uh, how do you do that? How do you do that in a way that you know that makes you know audiences like come to Shakespeare and you know, kind of like brings out what what makes Shakespeare great? Uh, how to refresh the classics? And you know, I mean, there's like. Um, Certainly, a lot of theater companies have different ways to do it. Uh, you know, like either traditional. I mean, all that's very interesting about the, um, the uh, the that whole context about like the reaction to audience members maybe not loving the the more the more experimental modern approach to classics. Uh, because I mean, this is kind of a state. Is a state one? Is at this point, it had become a state run. Right. funded institution so i mean there are some scenes uh in this film that suggest like they're also dealing with that like they're kind of like they're dealing with like tension yeah, yeah it, it, it can't all it can't just all entirely be like artists free to do whatever the heck they want right. there are certain things that they, and you know which is very true to it how like theater companies here in new york operate you know even if it's just like what new plays they decide to uh bring to the public to produce um yeah yeah, they might they might be willing to take a chance on this untried playwright but you know a lot of times they might go with someone that has had a lot of popular success and also you know given certain like uh 
threads in like the social fabric, like what plays get produced, like how it speaks to current like social issues and things like that. And those are all get things that need to be considered. Um, and I, I do recall in this film, uh, there was one scene uh, where I think it's like what the artistic director is talking to a director and he's like trying to get him to, to cast this one actor in 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 this production and the director was like uh, i don't know if that's right for her or whatever i i don't think you guys remember this but there's I don't that one oh there's one yeah there was one thing where he's it's like he's trying to prevail on the director to sure cast a certain, yeah. and i mean i i think if i remember correctly like it's because maybe she's kind of a bigger star or whatever uh -huh, um, uh, -huh. uh i mean so there's also you know, the, the, like, the, I guess the commerce aspect. I mean, that's right. another thing I think that I found interesting about this film. It 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 uh, it's fascinating because it makes me think about like how related this is to uh, Ex Libris and at Berkeley and National Gallery because they all have the same uh, tensions and re resolutions to make and sort of threading the needle between like what they think is right in an objective like vacuum and then also what they think is best for the budget and also what the public actually wants um and you get to see a lot of those conversations you know at, at, at berkeley whether it's like bringing in people uh you know speakers whatever ex libris obviously they they have in speakers and performances and, and national gallery gallery it's all about exhibits um and it's just i mean he wiseman's clearly drawn to these kinds of ideas and and these problems and uh and they're fascinating to watch i mean they um, don't go away they, they, yeah, they, they yeah. remain persistent so to, the, to that degree all all wiseman's interest in this and the films he's made out of that tension like they'll i don't think they will lose anything in relevancy anytime soon no and uh and yeah, I don't know. The, the just to watch that sort of constellation and to to see how people talk about it, how different people talk about it, um, is also interesting. Um, and it's not the only thing that like I thought a lot about at Berkeley during this strangely because of tradition as well, um, in a different way. Like you see the hierarchy involved and in, and in the the budget stuff, but also like. Um, just thinking about perspectives that the admins have during the strikes versus the the students, um, just like uh, I don't know, um, it, it's. I think this is becoming sort of a burgeoning, like major theme for for Arlen and I's uh, project um, that wasn't that we didn't at least talk about uh, in the first, you know, maybe quarter of his work uh, is this idea of tradition um, that's really coming up with these uh, these arts films. Mm. yeah um yeah that's uh yeah i i i actually this makes me thinking of uh well there was that there's that scene in this film which i think we've referred to in which they talk about the stagehand striking mm -hmm. and in this case we i guess we only see it from their perspective but uh, you know but it so they have a different perspective and maybe not the most friendly to this kind of action though though it seems like they're pretty quick to just 
acquiesce, you know, and be like, well, you know, the unions are going to strike. We're going to have to give them their bonuses or their raises mm-hmm, or whatever. Right. Like there's, there's a, there's a little bit of kind of chiding about it. Like, oh, yeah. you know, these guys again, but like <laughs> relative at least to a U.S. context, yeah, management right. seems pretty ready to just, you know, give them what they want for, you know, recognizing the social benefit of, you know, providing fair compensation for labor, but also just to kind of keep the company going, you know? Yeah, I mean, that might speak to a cultural, I mean, like, I'm not an expert of French culture. I don't <laughs> want to, I, I, I guess I risk stereotyping French culture by saying this, but it seems that they, they're more willing to strike to get whatever they want whenever. Like, I remember uh, um, the one time I've been to Cannes in 2013, uh, I think I was even, well, I, either, either it was that or it was during when I visited Paris in 2018. Like, either way, like, there were still, there were people, train workers were striking during one of those trips. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and people, I guess, local people were telling me, but yeah, you know, they strike a lot to get what they want. <laughs> yeah. And so it, it, it seems like there might be something in French culture that... A tradition, that, yeah. Yeah, 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 which <laughs> is maybe less traditional in U.S. culture the recent SAG strike notwithstanding. But both still make big news. Uh, for a French, and this might be another day, like, oh, yeah, we're not happy about working editions? You're just gonna... <laughs> so that, that might, maybe that scene speaks to that, but also I, I, do, I did remember that one administrator, I think, who was saying something like, yeah, this is why we get like bonuses at like raises or something like that. Yeah, to right. To make them, you know, give, make them happy. There's more in that in that French book too about sort of some of the mm-hmm. some of the machinations and maneuvering that uh, is it, like I wouldn't even try to articulate here because uh, like you know what like bonuses do to like uh, circumvent other mm-hmm. processes or something I don't know yeah. but it, it was it was just interesting to to get that perspective. Well, I mean, I deal with that a little bit in my day job, which. Oh yeah. Um, talk about but yeah, I, I dealt, I've dealt with that a little bit. So I, I know I knew exactly what they were where they were. Okay, doing. okay. Yeah. Uh, it, it was interesting just quickly in, in the French book which which we should note is called the American Chronicles. Um Chronique. Chronique, yeah. But but um the author uh pointed out that this film does kind of display the partic- some particulars of French society but says that in the subsequent French films, Weissman mostly abandons that aspect. Uh, he, he says in deference to the American audience, mm-hmm. which I oh, thought was interesting. interesting. Yeah. yeah, maybe maybe he's thinking about he's doing a little man, like maneuvering in the back of his head about like <laughs> who, who watches. I mean, like yeah, you know, it's it's I I do it my artists who just like don't necessarily think about their audience. They just do whatever the heck they want. But you know, at For a certain sure. point, you know, again. And this film speaks to that. There are certain outside, perhaps non-artistic considerations as far as like, who, who's going to see your film. What yeah, 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 that that may be that may speed to what an artist does. And I think that also might be a bit of an oversimplification too, because I think I recall in La Danse, there's there's some talk about labor and and unions going on. Oh, but, I've, um, yeah. Don't think I've seen that since it came out, but yeah, I mean, I would <laughs> it would be interesting to revisit that. Yeah. Darmon also points out that um, that this came on uh, PBS without like notice that it was in French, <laughs> oh, <laughs> which is like 
I mean, it, it makes sense on one hand, like, but but like thinking about people in the moment being like, oh yeah, like the 29th film by by Frederick Wiseman. I'm gonna go watch it. Oh, and it's entirely <laughs> in French. <laughs> there was something something i loved about the character of the hard-coded subtitles in this yeah i know it it was it was uh you don't see him look like that so much oh and he comments on it and well not the visual but on charlie rose charlie rose is like so it's in french is it is subtitle and he goes subtitles are very good (laughs) (laughs) was it, it i think it was trying to remember like i think it's his first you guys you guys might yeah. correct me I believe it's his first non English language. Yeah, film. it is. Yeah. Well what yeah, so. even even in like Canal Zone when you hear Spanish, you know it's like not it's not subtitled. Yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh wow. maybe before we uh have to part with you, Kenji, maybe we should talk about sort of the more about this tradition and talk about the la- the the ending. Um, because there's a lot there in these last like few scenes um, oh, yeah. that are st- yeah. stitched together. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so one of which is the hundredth birthday of Madame Salyard, um, and uh, Sami is there, kind of like paying tribute to her. Très chère Madame Nivet, c'est un honneur pour moi de représenter en ce grand jour la Comédie Française dont vous avez fait partie, vous aussi. Um, and she calls it a, a, a religion um, being in this uh, theater for her entire life, uh, you know, acting life. And it's very, very typical Wiseman place to end this like pageantry and, and tradition of it all and linking, linking this to the next scene, which is the actors doing the one-liners from Moliere by this bust and it kind of bookends the film. Laissez-moi, je vous prie. Les anciens, monsieur, sont les anciens et nous sommes les gens de maintenant. Il y a là une obscénité qui n'est pas supportable. Il vaut mieux encore être marié qu'être mort. Right, well, I mean, sir, like, like, I mean, if we, if we, if we were uh, to try to glean meaning from what Wiseman presents us. I mean, it, that seems, it's, that seems to be like the capper as far as like solidifying what, uh, he's interested in as far as like keeping traditions alive. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, and it's like worth keeping traditions alive. Um, I mean, like there's, it's interesting idea because I mean, certainly, uh, I don't, what was it called? Mutual artists, mutual benefit. Oh yeah, yeah. Society. Like, I mean, I don't, I'm trying to think if there is anything quite like that in the U S as far mm-hmm. as like, like where, like, you know, um, we, we really, uh, celebrate artists in quite the same way, uh, as they do. <laughs> uh, maybe we just haven't had a camera to <laughs> someone like Wiseman to penetrate these spaces in the U S and, uh, but, uh, um, yeah, you know, like, and, you know, celebrating this, this, this aged performer who I, I assume hasn't performed at that point. Right, uh, right. And still, you know, uh, Sami is like rattling off her, uh, uh, site, uh, Madame Sayard's like successes, which are a while ago. But I mean, uh, and, and I mean, 
that's another thing theater you know film especially now with like digital like media you know films can theoretically live forever uh theater is different like inherently different because if you miss that performance right uh, and if it's not filmed you miss it so um um so like uh so i mean like i get i i guess that to some degree that gives that scene an extra poignancy yeah the the sort of like ephemeral nature yeah of 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 everything that she's done and it's all like you know they keep asking her if she remembers it and you know she she, and she does and that's like it's that's where it lives is in her memory or the memory of people who saw it which is interesting and wiseman talks a lot about how He's drawn to the ephemera of that and ballet as well as uh, food. Um, I just interviewed him about his new film and he talks about that, about food and and ballet and uh, this ephemeral nature of like this thing that people are working on and then it disappears, uh, unlike his film, which you, you know, can can revisit time and time again. Um, But kind of going what you were saying originally about like this idea of like living, passing on tradition, uh, Barry Keith Grant, um, in his uh, new uh, edition of his book on Wiseman, talks pretty, uh, I think, poetically about this sequence, placing it in con- context with his broader work. And he basically says that this is more or less the beginning of, of when you can really start to see Wiseman interested in artistic expression as both expression and aspiration for his own work. And he points out that that Sammy is is the last to speak, and she says to live without love isn't really living at all, which called to mind for Barry a few films, um, including uh, something that the doctor says in Near Death, which is, we may all be minor actors in each other's lives, but we are all looking for love as we strut and fret our brief time on the stage. Um, which, you know, is, is, a, is a beautiful thought and, and a nice way to, to wrap up um, this film and, uh, in in an ambiguous and visual nature uh, for Wiseman. Yeah, yeah, especially, yeah, and I mean, like, that, yeah, the very last scene where, yeah, they're giving all this, which I did not know, uh, you know, I guess my knowledge of, I had to look that up to see, like, where were they, where were they getting all these close-ups, but yeah, it's very interesting that uh, they, they, they pay tribute to Moliere uh, in that way, um, which, yeah, I mean, again, I'm trying to, I don't think if there are equivalents of that here in New York as far as like the, there's no company I know it, that does that for like I don't know sure. Stephen Sondheim. <laughs> yeah, I mean the tribute <laughs> if you pay tribute to see a Stephen Sondheim, it would probably be going to one of these like piano bars and Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Songs, yeah. Which is it's it's certainly less formal than what they do for Moliere at that last scene, but like it's it's still it's still valid. You know? <laughs> it reminded me of of actually uh, it, an echo of this in at the end of National Gallery, which Robert Greene talked to us about uh, his fondness for this particular sequence, which is a bunch of shots of people's faces mixed with like the portraits, like artist portraits, um, and this sort of abstract but like beautiful way to like link art and human life. It's uh, it's really interesting. And was National Gallery is that is that the one that ends with um like a dancer in there? Yeah, yeah, yep. that is the one. Yeah, yeah, so right. That uh, yeah, that was that's a that is a beautiful way to end that film. Like you know, yeah, it is. It really is. Doing, yeah, and you know, big audience. Who knows if there's an audience for that? It was just something <laughs> he wanted to. Yeah, to, true. To, yeah. yeah, that that was that was a sequence of a free man for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, but like, like, you know, what we're talking about here, especially the, the Sayard scene, like, you know, it, it shows both tradition, but I think it also shows something about like the cyclical nature of all mm-hmm, of this. Mm-hmm. And like in the same way that the plays are restaged for new generations, you know, every few decades or however long it is, you know, we could we can imagine Sami in Sayard's seat in a few decades, mm-hmm. you know, and somebody else paying tribute to her uh, who, you know, she right. helped bring along. Uh, during her, you know, time at the company, so like, yeah. and and on and on and on. So the way that the the sort of traditions and repetitions, and and I noted someone wrote that that the French word for rehearsal is the same as repetition, uh, <laughs> which is interesting to consider in this film and Weissman's body of work generally. But like, it it doesn't just extend to the performances, you know, it extends to everything that the the company encapsulates. Right. Uh, 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 two things. Well, one thing. Um, well, I might have forgotten. My, uh, <laughs> one thing I want also wanted to um, because the full title of the speaking of love because you mentioned that right. that thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the full title of this film is La Comédie Française au l'amour joué, mm-hmm. which I mean, my French is not great. I, but, so I ran this through Google Trend. L'amour, obviously, l'amour joué, like love. Play or something like that, uh, which I mean, like you know, that that's kind of um, you know unusual for a Frederick Wiseman film title. I mean, that that seems like a, yeah. a little bit more uh, poetic than poetic, usually yeah. is to right. have that as part of the title of this film. But I mean, it, it. I mean, yeah, it probably speaks to something that he's very interested in exploring, uh, and maybe started exploring more after this film. Yeah. 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 And, and Barry Keith Grant, he's he's quoted uh, saying that the film contains a lot of ideas about what constitutes love and that informs mm. all of the sequences. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The other thing I want to mention was speaking of like, you know, passing of the torch. I mean, there's some scenes in this film which in which like the older actors are basically I think Catherine Sami at one point is seen giving like kind of kind of like elocution lessons to another actor. A yeah. Younger actor. Come- comes right after the retirement party for the older actor and yeah uh, Stephen Mamber talks about this and she's saying to the actor uh, the young actor like don't neglect a word like stress every word as if to imply like uh, you know don't take any of this for granted and then when you're done pass it on to the next yeah it's it's a very nice moment uh, yeah and you know speak yeah it speaks to a larger concern with passing of the torch like generational differences maybe Mm mm-hmm well, I, I I know that you have to go, uh, Kenji, but uh, thank you so much for joining us and to talk about this and, and to share your perspective with us. We really appreciate it. Anything uh, anything you want to, uh, any last words before you, you go? Oh, uh, I don't know if I have any last words. I just think more people should see this film because I think it <laughs> yeah. deserves to be maybe more widely celebrated. For sure. Uh, I mean, maybe, I mean, maybe that's just me, the theater nerd talking, but, uh, you know, I think, you know, I think as we've discussed here, I think there's a lot to parse beyond just the, the environment, the particular environment. And so. it's also just a nice, it's a nice thing to watch. It's a, it's like a warm bath. You can just kind of enjoy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks for coming on. And, uh, we will talk to you later. Thank you okay. very much. Comment? Mathurine? 
C'est en vain que vous lui parlerez. Vous ne lui mettrez point cette fantaisie. Est-ce que... Il n'y a pas moyen de lui faire entendre raison. Je voudrais. Elle est obstinée comme tous les diables. Vraiment Ne lui dites rien, c'est une folle. Je pense. Non, c'est Lala, c'est une extravagante. Non, non, il faut que je lui parle. Je ne vois pas ses raisons. Quoi Je gage qu'elle va vous dire que je lui ai promis de l'épouser. Je... Gageons qu'elle vous soutiendra que je lui ai donné parole de la prendre pour femme. Oh là, Charlotte, ce n'est pas bien de courir sur le marché des autres. C'est pas honnête, Mathurine, d'être jalouse que monsieur me parle. C'est moi que monsieur a vu la première. Je vous ai vu la première. Il m'a vu la seconde. Elle m'a promis de m'épouser. Eh bien, que vous êtes dit Je vous baisse les mains. C'est moi et non pas vous qui l'a promis d'épouser. N'ai-je pas deviné À d'autres, je vous prie. C'est moi, vous dis-je. Vous vous moquez des gens. C'est moi, encore un coup. Ne blaguez pour le dire si j'ai pas raison. Ne blaguez pour me démentir si je ne dis pas vrai. Est-ce, monsieur, que vous lui avez promis de l'épouser Vous vous de moi 